welcome to another episode of the Pioneer Podcast. I'm Tanner Grace. As always, I'm joined by Ross Merriam. Um, and what's old is new again. Is what we're gonna. It's gonna be like kind of the theme on the show today when we get to the actual Pioneer talk. Who knows when that's gonna happen? It could be five minutes from now. It could be what forty-five minutes from now. That like is that our record kind of thing? Forty-five minutes, I believe, is our record. Yeah, something along that. We'll, we'll probably get to it faster than that. I'm like jinxing it, kind of like you do every week when you're like, oh, we'll have a short episode this week, and it's two and a half hours. Yeah, but I, I don't do it live on the show. Yeah, so there we go. We'll talk about it whatever. But um, so it's it's about Tuesday evening. Uh, it's about 7 o'clock where you are, about 6 p.m. where I am. And uh, has the quarantine gotten to you yet? Um, Honestly, last night it got to me a little bit. Um. Anything particular, like any reason particular, or just in general, it all came to a head. No, I, I think I was just like, uh, you know, I had had a pretty long week last week. Just getting all everything set up with streaming and streaming a lot of hours. Yeah. Um, and it had just sort of like so I was a little bit stressed and a little bit tired, and I slept. I remember I slept a lot Sunday night. Like I think I slept for nine hours straight, which is a lot wow. for me. Uh, to to at least do it straight. Right. Yeah. Uh, same. You know, without, you know, continuous, and I needed even more than that. And so, like, even after that day, I wasn't fully back, and I thought I would be because when I woke up that day, I was like, "Man, I just slept for nine hours, and I felt great." So I thought like I would be perfectly fine, and so I started, you know, setting up some things and working, and I wrote my article, and then at the end of the night, I was just like, "God, I'm, I don't know, I was just just needed to relax and have a night off." So. I thought I would, and I even thought I would stream today. Then I took today off, um, so I'm two days off of streaming, and now I feel fine. Um, it's almost like you played an event, like it's almost like you traveled and went to an open, and like you're having to recover on Monday and stuff. You know? Yeah, that that's actually a that makes sense. That, that is kind of what it's like, right? And I, I, I mean, I did play multiple events over the weekend. Really, if you count streaming, like we had the the MTG for charity event on Saturday which really was you know an actual tournament and then i played for 6 plus hours streaming against Jim Davis to try to raise money for the judge go fund to be on sunday the uh, fix was in on that by the way from oh, the beginning yeah. i'm i'm convinced the fix was in I, I certainly did not expect to win but i was pretty you know when it when i was close pretty late in the game and i thought wow like we might we might score the upset and then when i saw that $1000 donation for Jim's side come in right at the end i was like i can't even be mad like, yeah, you know, we're here to raise money. You just donated a thousand dollars. I can't be mad. Yeah, um, one person donated as much as like almost your entire stream. You know. Yeah. Like, so you know, uh, you know, over the course of the weekend, raised a ton of money for charity. But it was you know, uh, probably fifteen hours or so of streaming over two days, which is a you know just a a lot of streaming to do in a, in a small period of time. And it wasn't even like I started it Saturday morning. Like the the event started at three p.m. And then yeah. I, I came, I, you know, played that until like nine or ten at least. Um, yeah, to, I think I was, I think I died right about eight thirty, and then watched the last round. So that went from like three to nine, say, and then came back at ten a.m. the next morning and streamed until four where I was playing. And then I uh, went on to Jim's stream and we did a draft together. We did a weird stipulation draft where. I could only draft odd cards, and he could only draft even cards. And then you alternated picks. Yeah, we alternated picks. And the third pack was really frustrating because every single one of my packs had good yeah. even cards, and every one of his had good odd cards for our deck. But we won round one with a horrible Storm deck and almost won the next couple of rounds. We lost four games in the entire draft, and three of them were to getting mind-slavered when we had Yawgmoth's Bargain, either set to cast next turn or in play. Are you serious? Yeah, it was it was mind-slaver once and Emrakul the Promised End twice. 
and our opponent, we, we knew that they had Emrakul the Promised Land in game three of the last round, just based on the way they played. And we killed their Grim Monolith and then had them dead the next turn, a couple turns later, when they were like pretty far off from casting the Emrakul. And they they had drawn... They had drawn... Um, Goblin Electromancer land over those two turns and their hand had Seething Song, Emrakul, and that was exactly enough to cast it. Oh, wow. Seething Song and Emrakul. Okay. And we could have tried to kill the Electromancer, but they, to like make the Seething Song more expensive, which we didn't even know about, but they didn't have a creature in their graveyard. So like they, you know, it's killing, control, the, killing yeah. the Goblin Electromancer didn't make sense uh, and it wouldn't have made a difference anyway. So yeah, uh, just had a long week, but now I've taken a couple of days off. I feel good. I'm gonna stream some more later in the week, and, uh, and you know, keep doing what I'm doing. I actually think streaming has helped a lot in terms of the quarantine. You know, yeah. I'm interacting with a lot of people, and uh, you know, getting that out of the way. You know, I live alone, so <laughs> if I were quarantined here with like basically no way to you know talk to the outside world, it would get uh, it would get pretty bad. But streaming has definitely helped quite a bit. I'm trying to imagine in my mind what that would look like if you were just, like, quarantined for months and months and months and, like, you had no way to interact the outside world. And it's just you reading, like, your ridiculous political stuff over and over and over again. Your beard just gets even more, like, uh, you don't even try to see you, like, you would come out looking like the Unabomber, you know, kind of. <laughs> Tell like Ted cool. Kaczynski, yeah. yeah oh, just... for sure. Um, I'm, And my beard, I mean, I haven't trimmed my beard in a while. It's already getting kind Same. of, it's getting pretty unruly. I did mind, like, I don't know, a couple days ago. It's not It's not that bad now that I look at it. It doesn't um, even count as a beard, Tannen. You just have stubble. Yeah. That's like three... You have like three-day stubble. Uh, I think this is... Well, three days, Grace. No, I think this is more like uh, like four or five days. I don't know. We were talking about this... Uh, what was it? Was it Friday night or Saturday night when we had uh, our date? Um, I think it might have been Sunday. Sunday night? Yeah. For, yeah. for it, just, just to explain that to people. Uh, Sunday night... Uh, Ross and I had a Discord call with Brennan DeCandio. We got the we got the band back together. Just hung out for a few hours. Like my wife came on, my dog came on a little bit, and we just like all chatted, you know, about like what's going on. We wanted to hear how Brennan's family's doing, et cetera. You know, and I highly recommend that to people right now. Like with some of your friends, you know, if you don't get to see them, you don't get to talk to them. Like it's not hard to just pull up Discord or like you know whatever whatever program that you use. Skype if you're old, you know, like me and stuff. Um, I think I told you this, my company was like the initially the only program they, they approved for video conferencing was, was Skype. And I was just like, how old is everybody here? Am I, <laughs> am I the youngest one? You know, and stuff. So that, that's interesting. Um, so this weekend, like, you know, I, I did not as much as you when it comes to this stuff, but I, I participated in the charity event as well. I did not, I did not play. Um, I did some commentary for, I like opened the show and then did a couple rounds. So, uh, I got to do a little bit. I, I see why Strong's had picked me, why Todd picked me to go first. Uh, he knows that I can fill dead air, so they talk so much. And he had to get, like, everything going because they were doing it kind of like guerrilla coverage, you know what I mean? Like, you know, trying to just figure out stuff as they went. It had to kind of... It was interesting. Since we did it, um, kind of like the Fandom Legends tournaments where you watch other people stream, you know, as, as you're doing it and you're just talking over it. Everyone has a different um, display of how they of how they have their you know different yeah overlay, like where like Twitch, their webcam right? is where yeah. all their ads are and stuff. So we had to keep moving all of our stuff. Like Todd had to keep moving his face. And he's like, I'm not even going to put yours on the screen because that's too much, you know. And he had to keep moving like the you know what round it was, the records, like you know my name or whoever's name was yeah. doing commentary. Move with his him. overlay to fit theirs. Yeah. Um, 
the the goal originally was to raise a thousand dollars during the tournament, which I thought was like you know, hey, I, I think we get that easy, if not more. Yeah. It was crushed within the first like ten minutes, I think. There was one um, person who had set for their individual a thousand dollars. Yeah. Um, well, there was there was a cool part. Uh, like Jeff Hoogland was a part of it, and um, he said that he would match the first thousand dollars. He and his wife would match the first thousand dollars. So when they hit that within like I think round one, or maybe round two. One of his viewers said, I will match the next $1,000 that people donate. So $4,000 came from Jeff Hoogan's stream. Uh, I think MTG Goldfish actually catch up, uh, kept up with that. He finished he got, around 3K, I think. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He kept up with it. Like, for, like, if you go by individual donations, I think he, like, smashed it. You know, like, obviously, yeah. like, he didn't have the biggest ones. You know, Todd did great. Like, everyone did great, right? Like, everyone had donations. It doesn't matter who wins. That's not the thing. Yeah. But most individuals had goals, like, around 200, 250. Yeah, and everybody hit it. And yeah. I decided to be a little ambitious, and I set the goal at 500, expecting to get, like, two or 250. And we were sitting about 150 for a lot of the day. And then when I made the top eight, things started pouring in. I ended up right about 600, uh, which was awesome. I was super, uh, super happy with that. But it was a, it was a nice little roller coaster tournament from my side. Because I, I knew going in that Ryan Overturf was going to play Grixis. And I thought that matchup was going to be bad for me just because he probably just had a bunch of good removal. And then we got that pairing round one. I didn't really know what everybody else was playing, but I figured this is probably the worst matchup in the field. That's good. I'm sitting there playing mine soul deck, and then I won in a you know pretty close three game set. I felt really good, and then I beat Brad in round two playing Inverter, which also felt great. And uh, and so now I'm two. I'm like, yeah, I think I just need I, like I just need one more, and then we'll be in the top eight. That'll be great. And then I lost a close one to uh, Bloody in round three on Vampires when game like I won game one and game two just needed to land for like multiple turns in order to win the race. And I bricked and then couldn't deploy my shrapnel blast in time to like, uh, and she like, obviously they have so many life gain creatures. So she just gained up above five and the second shrapnel blast wasn't enough. And then she just crushed me game three. And then I lose the next round to inverter again, uh, to inverter on Jarvis U. So now I'm two, two, I kind of got crushed by Jarvis. My draws weren't great that round, but they had been good up until that point. So you know, I've, I've variants you, caught up with you. You won all your die rolls as well. I literally won every single die roll. It was awesome. Yeah. Uh, but now I'm sitting there like I'm 2 2. I've got to win this next one to make the top eight. And my like competitive juices start to kick in. Like, I know this is supposed to be a fun tournament. Yeah, I could actually tell. Like, I was watching your stream when I wasn't doing part of it. And I could tell at first you were like, kind of like more towards like having fun and entertaining and like, you know, hey, this is great. And then when you were like 2 0, you're like, oh, you know, this is extra. This is good. And then when you like lost or it started getting harder, I could see the like, the switch happened. Like, All right, we will chat. Hold on, we got to win this match. You yeah, know, yeah. Kind of thing. And uh, I played against Jim Davis actually in round five, who was one three at the time. I got the pair down. Yeah, I mean, this is, he's a walking by, and so. he didn't even realize that I was two two and still live. And so he was apparently like playing for fun on his stream. He brought in his whatever the instant is for a green mana that puts an enchantment on the bottom of their deck. Like mystic retrieval. Yeah, or I think yeah, yeah. The, he brought that in just to try to like troll me by getting tagging and soul with it, and uh, you know, and we actually he actually won a game because his deck had a good amount of cheap removal, and he had game two he had turned two young pyromancer on the play. I don't have a lot of answers for it in Is it in Soul, and uh, and he was able to use his cheap removal to keep me off balance and erase me with pyromancer. But game three, I had the wild slash for his pyromancer, so he just had no pressure, and I sat there like poking him with a mediocre hand. And drew two shrapnel blasts, and it got to the point where he was at twelve, and I had a an ensouled ornithopter, but I drew like three lands in a row, 
and he had braided the ghost fire blade right before I got him a 10. And so I just sat there with like two shrapnel blasts while he's doing nothing and I'm doing nothing drawing lands. I finally drew my second wild slash and just 12 him. <laughs> and, uh, I think I missed that game. I saw yeah. some of the other stuff. Played a, a really sweet match. Probably the best match I had in the tournament in the top eight against Aaron Barrage, who's playing mono red. And I, I forgot to bring in my ether gust for game two after losing game one. Nice. And won anyway. And then game three made a no seven, justice. seven aethers for harvester and like still almost lost. Like she made a, a pretty valiant effort, like found the abrade right before she died. Um, but I still got the 14 life off of it. And then I found a way to like sneak through the last three points and uh and then lost to bloody again in the top four that matchup does not seem good no a lot of it was just their life gain creatures like i couldn't ever like you know just squeak the last four, five or six points in because she by the time she stabilized she was gaining two to four life a turn so just didn't have time to do that but super fun tournament um was happy with my deck really happy i mean to, on the total we ended up just over thirteen thousand raised which is kind of an insane number. Yeah. Especially when you start with that thousand dollar goal. Like you hit that so quickly. And then I saw them move the goal to 5,000 and then we hit that during the Swiss and they moved the goal to 7,500 and then they hit that towards the end. But we didn't realize that none of Jeff Hoagland's donations had right. like, made it into the, the overall pool because There's of an extra uh, you know, 4K, a technological like... error. So we thought we were at like eight, nine K and it's like, Oh no, all of Hoagland's 4K is also on top of this. Yeah. So just, awesome stuff from this weekend right like and not just charity like obviously charity is the big important part right like that's the biggest winner from this weekend but there was thousands of people watching you know a ton of people interacting um you know some of the streamers got some stuff out of this you know a lot of people came to their streams that maybe not had gone to their streams anyway there was actual some prizes in the tournament i don't remember exactly it was like you know some boxes of modern masters and some other cool stuff right you know so people didn't walk away empty-handed right it wasn't just for charity and then there's entertainment value too, which is big, right? Because there's like, you know, like I mentioned in the last week's show, I'm going to be watching these things because one of my favorite things to do on the weekend is like get stuff done around the house, like cook some food and just have the open on, right? And like watch that and be entertained and like get that kind of like, it gets my competitive juices flowing, like you're saying, you know, I get the camaraderie feeling that I miss from being there and stuff. And this is going to be the new norm going forward. And you know, we don't know how long this is going to be. You're hearing a lot of reports that it, it could be less time now, but I actually believe that it's going to be the other end of things. It's going to be longer than people think. And I actually would not be surprised if we did not play opens this year for the rest of the year. I, I don't think that's a, I don't think that's like guaranteed. I don't think that's me saying that's going to happen. I would not be surprised if at some point they're like, all right, we're just giving up on this and we might do some other stuff. Like, you know, we'll we'll figure something out yeah i think i would i would say i wouldn't be shocked if that happened right but i would be a little surprised okay okay so sure. i'm, I'm that, you know fair. i'm like a step behind you there but it's definitely you know we have an indefinite you know hiatus from tournaments so it's great that people There's are from social gatherings gap. yeah yeah so you know we had that tournament and you know, lotus box held a tournament for their patrons uh and now oh, we're they- seeing they you did know, charity as well in that. Yeah, yeah. Now we're seeing even, you know, bigger people, uh, you know, tournament organizers actually step in. And Watsi starting to run these super qualifiers on MTGO. And CFB Events is running the, like, you know, online Grand Prix, essentially, on yeah. Arena. Uh, and they're doing coverage with that. So it, it, it definitely seems like, uh, you know, 
everyone has recognized that there is a demand for this, both from the player side and the viewer side, and trying to meet that demand, which is great for us because, you know, I, I was kind of worried a week or two ago that we were just going to run out of things to talk about and Magic would be pretty stagnant for a couple months. Uh, but with all these tournaments, like, we've got plenty to talk about at this point. There were three major Pioneer tournaments in the last week on MTGO. We saw the challenge that happens weekly. You know, that's to be expected. But there's also two super qualifiers, which are basically just giant two-slot PTQs on Magic Online. I think they were both nine rounds of Swiss. So you're talking, you know, 200-person events or close to that. Uh, so sizable, a lot of good players. And the results are really interesting. Yeah, exactly. I was gonna say, um, we, you know, we can get to that in just a second. There was one more thing I wanted to ask you about, and uh, just just because of my own curiosity, and I'm sure some people at home might want to know, like, what does your average day look like now? You know, like with everything that's going on, with the world changing quite a bit. Um, oh, just a lot more around the house. I think, like, you know, I'm catching up on things that I had put off. You know, um. Just I, um, the next thing I think on my list is just a lot of spring cleaning, right? Where I just declutter. Um, because I, I think it, especially the, the life that I lead where I'm on the road so much, it's really easy to put things on the back burner at home and then not get to them because I'm always looking forward to the next weekend. You know, if I'm not there already, I'm preparing for it and doing stuff like that. And so, you know, I've let some things pile up and, and I'm trying to work my way through that little by little and then do just doing a lot more of my own cooking because I have more time and that's been fun uh, because I do enjoy cooking. I just don't get the opportunity to do it as often as I would like. Um, and so just a lot of that. And then I've, you know, I've streamed for, you know, five hours a day for the last week. So those three things are taking up a lot of my time. Yeah, for me, um, I've been sleeping in a little bit later than normal. You know, usually I would get up around like, you know, 6 or 6.30 every morning, you know, for work Ugh. and all that other stuff. But now I'm like, I slept until 9 the other day. Yeah, I did stay up late the night before, like watching TV and like my dog let me. Like, that's the other thing, too. Since since my wife is staying in bed a lot more, um, the dog will leave me alone. <laughs> it's usually, you know, she gets up really early and like goes to work. And uh, the dog will be like, okay, for a minute. And then be like where's dad? I'm gonna go mess with him. And so she'll run up on the bed because she has like a little stairwell that goes up to the bed. She'll run up on the bed, get on my face and like her licking me or whatever. Or she has this new one where she wants to wake me up where she'll come and just sit on my head. Like she'll wrap like, cause you know, I'm laying down like sideways and she'll just like wrap herself around my head and just sit there. Right. And so I wake up to like feeling her breathing, you know, like around my ears and, and head and stuff. It's, I don't know. It's weird. That is weird. Maybe, I don't know. It's it's a dog. She's she's a Pomeranian. They're actually very strange. I don't know if you've ever done any research on them. They do really weird things, especially with like food and stuff. They like they're creatures of habit. They like to eat in the same specific area. Like she likes her new food so much that it doesn't matter anymore. But like in the past, if you fed her and you put the food like the bowl where it wasn't like she knows there's like one or two spots where she's used to eating. If you put the bowl in say like a third spot, right, like in just some other spot, she would walk to the bowl get the food and then walk to the spot where the bowl normally is eat and then go back for more. Like she would transport the food herself in her mouth. It's her eating spot. You know? Yeah. It's her eating spot. Yeah, exactly. And like, I remember honey, you know, uh, Ephra's dog when I was living there, if we gave her a treat, even if it was like her favorite treat in the world and, and like nothing against honey, like mine's a little more, um, I don't want to say like, you know, like trained more, but mine's just a little more like, 
what's the word I'm looking for here? She's like more rigid, you know, like more like stick to the schedule, like blah, 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 you know, like, cause she has, you know, we're around more you know, habitual. Like, yeah. She's more habitual cause we are too, you know, like we didn't, we didn't have the, the, the poker player, you know, magic player lifestyle as much. Yeah, so she's yeah. got this rigid, you know, thing. But if you gave her a treat, even like her favorite one, and you left the house for any amount of time, I'm talking sometimes we'd go to dinner and be back like an hour later, or, you know, we go like play poker or something, be back like six hours later. She would wait for you to come back. She wanted you to be there when she ate the treat. And so it would still just be sitting wherever you gave it to her. And then she would get it and, and like eat the whole thing. And I'm like, which is, which is interesting because like dogs usually aren't that well behaved when it comes to that. It's all oh, like that is that is really strange. Yeah, you're, you normally think of it, you know, having to train the dog not to just wolf it down. Oh yeah, immediately. That we is really we, we have we had to get new bowls for for my dog because she eats her food so fast. We had to get the ones where like it move, you know, the, it's got stuff in the way. It's got like obstacles they have to eat around, so they can't just shove their whole face in the bowl. You know, because she loves her new food so. I mean, God, she just like she begs for her new food like she knows the process of making it so when she hears the bag come out of the the freezer because her, her food is raw so we keep it frozen and like when she sees it she knows and starts like whining and begging for it i'm like it's like 10 minutes till you can be fed <laughs> this is gonna thaw like you know like all this other stuff like so <clears throat> so yeah like just more time around the house more time with my dog has actually been kind of great you know i've been walking her multiple times a day she's i'll tell you this um, there's a lot of things on Twitter. Like I follow, uh, this account was like thoughts of dog. Oh, it's yeah. just literally, a, yeah. It's and from dog about rates. It. He does, he does and, both. Yeah. It's like every dog in the world right now is over the fucking moon. Cause they're just like, yeah, my, my family's home like all day. I don't know what's going on. They keep having these video conferences on their computer and they bring me in sometimes and it's great. I'm the only thing holding this company together, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, you know, just stupid stuff like that. And so, uh, just like me and the wife, doing some I'm like pretending to work she's doing actual work because like I can't really do much is, is, hasn't trying. that been your dynamic for several years now I mean <laughs> several is probably too few it's really more than several. Yeah, let's be yeah. let's be real <laughs> let's be real I've always been kind of like skirting by you know what I mean in, in particular I'm the um what's the guy in the office you know they'll walk around you always have a piece of paper in your hands so you always look you always look busy, you know, the, the, oh, the things yeah. and someone looks at you, you just look at the paper real quick. They're like, oh, he's busy. Let me get, let me go mess with somebody else kind of thing. I'm that guy. Oh, you know, you always find ways to skirt it or whatever, but, um, <clears throat> have you been, uh, watching new movies and TV? That's something yeah. I've, I've had to do too. Normally I have just my go-tos that I just basically watch on loop, but I definitely yeah. can't do that for two months straight. So, so it's, it's not as much as I thought it would be. Like I thought I'd just be like binging the crap out of stuff. Right. But, um, I'm also married. And I don't. I, you'll find this out when, if you, whenever you get married. If a woman sees you doing nothing in the house, they will find something for you to do, Ross. Like it's like they they literally have like a list ready to fire off. And the moment you sit down and like relax, and they know the moment that you're actually relaxed. Like they'll wait that extra like seven seconds or whatever, and they'll just be like, "Hey, take the trash out," or "Hey, the backyard needs to be mowed," or something. You're like, "You couldn't say that like hours ago when I was like wasting time." Anyway, but um, yeah, I've been. For me, it's mostly been, there's some shows that I kind of like, even though I liked them, I didn't finish them. Like I'm, uh, and, and kind of like circling back to, to finish like, uh, Mr. Robot is one of them. Um, shows just like insanely well acted and very well, very well written. Um, I was going to say, I'm, I'm watching Hunters on Prime right now. It's the one the wife and I are watching together. We always have a show that we like watch together type stuff. Um, catching some movies, like I'll probably watch some of the, uh, the new ones that are coming out on digital a lot sooner that were that were in the movie theaters because I didn't catch them then, kind of stuff. Uh, are you on anything right now? Are you uh, so, addicted to anything? I uh, 
I, I've always maintained, not in a physical space, but just in my head, I have this list of movies that I'm like, I, I have a physical I like link, that by the movie. Way. And it's just in my head of like, yeah, I should watch it at some point. And for a while, the top of that list has been Clue. The, the You've never watched movie the Clue movie? The game. Yeah, I've never watched it. There's that's, a ton that of... just looks That just looks like a Ross movie. Exactly. Like... And I agree. So I'm like, that's a movie I should see. So I actually watched it the other night. I think like Saturday night after the after the charity event. I think I, wa- I, I think I sat down and watched it. It was not very good. It probably hasn't it probably didn't hold up well either. Well, the thing about it is it was a commercial failure and it was critically panned at the time. It's actually gained a cult following since then. It's one of those kinds of movies. And like it everything like it, it seemed like yeah, like I should I should kind of like this, but I don't know, it just it didn't really hit and I I have a hard time trying to figure out why. You know, I like Tim Curry, I like Martin Mull. Um yeah, the, the cast was, like, really impressive, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I uh, had Christopher Lloyd in it, too. Doc Brown from Back to the Future. Yeah. Um, that's probably another movie I should watch. Who you seen. kind of look like when you're streaming, by the way, because you do the, <laughs> like, when you're thinking, you do the, Ross and I both have our hands in our hair right now. Yeah. And Ross, like, his hair starts, like, really nice and coiffed and, like, you know, combed over, like, whatever it is, you know, it looks all good. By the end of your stream, it's like... Doc Brown just everywhere. <laughs> just looks like you've been electrocuted, kind of thing. Yeah, but I, I, I don't know. It's just the none of like the I got all the jokes. Like it was all pretty, you know, uh, and not, like very few of them hit. And I found myself kind of bored halfway through. And I, I did you sort did of you power it. through? Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of watched it in the background until the toward for the last like you know forty minutes or so. Like it was okay. I'm, I'm disappointed that I didn't like it. Because that movie had a lot yeah. of potential, but I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to work my way through that list in my head. Yeah, I've been watching like less and less movies recently, and more and more television because TV's just so good now, and like you get to tell a better story, right? You know, like a good movie is good, right? Like it just hits that spot so well. But if TV is well written, like they get to go way more. I like character development quite a bit. It's like always, but I've been that's why I like books and stuff as well. You know, you get to watch the, like, full character arc of somebody instead oh, of it sure. having shoved down your throat for two hours. And, like, yeah, it can be great in a movie scene. But, you know, a few other things, like, um, I've been watching, uh, like, there's a few other things I've dabbled in. I've been watching the show uh, Kingdom on Netflix. I just started it. It's about, um, it's, like, in Japan, like, feudal Japan or whatever, but there's zombies. Pre or post Matthew Brady? Uh, I do not know the answer to that. Are, are white people there? It does, I mean, I'm only a few episodes in. I haven't seen a white person, but I th- do think they have uh, guns at some point in time. Because, like, they haven't yet. You've seen, Gun like, bows and arrows in China, so I'm sure they had guns before European contact. Yeah, that's, that, but, like, that's what I'm saying. I don't, I don't know when it is. I'm not, yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure. So the, they opened up to the West in 1853 when it, Matthew... It even could be around that time. I, there's, I don't think it's, like, I don't think there's a specific year that it's set in. I'm not 100% of that. I have to look it up. But you get what I'm saying? It, it feels... You know, there's no cars. You know, you know what I mean? Sure. Like, you know, I might have zombies. overspoke when I said feudal. But yeah, like, they're, they're quote-unquote zombies. Like, there's some disease that makes people, you know, they like, they brought someone back. It's like the it's like the disease from Game of Thrones where they brought someone back from the dead and they were like, you know, messed up. And then, of course, they, they ate somebody or whatever. And then, you know, it spread or whatever. But it's interesting um, that it, it looks good so far. I mean, like, here's the thing. The, the bar has been lowered overall just because you're like wanting to be entertained but i'm also trying not to have too much screen time every day because when i work i'm legit in front of a screen the entire time no matter what now 
right? And I'm doing meetings every day on Zoom and stuff like that. So, like, I'm trying to... I, I have blue light glasses. I need to just start wearing them, like, all day. I just forget. They're somewhere in my nightstand. I need to go grab probably those. probably get some of those. They're pretty great. You could probably just order some from... I, th- I think Amazon might still be delivering stuff that's not essential. I'm not 100% on that. Uh, you could probably just order some somewhere. But definitely highly recommended. It also makes it easier to sleep. You know what I mean? Like, you don't get the... It doesn't irritate your eyes as much. It, it's, it supposedly doesn't do some of the same effect on you that if you just stare at a screen all the time and then you have a problem, like, falling asleep at night. I mean, you know, they say you shouldn't see a screen for, what, two hours before you try something? Like, I think it's like be 45 real. minutes to an hour. Yeah, l- let's be real. That's that's not a thing. <laughs> the first thing I do in the morning, the last thing I do at night, besides, like, kiss my wife, is is check my damn phone. <laughs> let's be real. I'm looking at Twitter or whatever it is. You know, I'm, I'm addicted. So, uh, and it's weird because there's, like, here's the thing. If, like, if it was possible to do it, I, I'd be kind of happy right now because I would just watch every baseball game there is. Like, I'd be watching nine, 12 hours of baseball a day, and <laughs> there just isn't any. And it sucks. Like, you know, like you don't have your normal forms of entertainment. Like, have you seen the wrestling stuff? They're still doing some of the wrestling shows. There's just no crowd. It's already weird. It would be weird watching any sport without a crowd. But wrestling seems like the worst. So I got a clip of it. And I'm not the biggest wrestling person in the world, right? Like, I liked it a lot when I was younger. I I didn't keep up too much. But, um, like, I saw some clips that were really funny. They were doing the WWE and I think in the WWE, they aren't actually wrestling. They're just like trying to progress the story a little bit and doing like promos and stuff. And one of them was like, you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin comes out, you know, cracks the beers. And then he kept doing his, his, uh, like his catchphrases, but his catchphrases like involve the crowd. You know, he like, he like says what, and they go, what, you know, whatever. And like, he would just do it. And then it would go to the crowd. Like it's supposed to, like the camera would go to the crowd. There's just no one there. There's no sound. And so he just kept doing his, his catchphrases like an empty audience and it was just like it, it's one of those things it's funny and then it becomes not funny and then it comes back around and it's funny yeah. again it's like the uh it's like the youtube videos of sitcoms without laugh tracks they're so bad speaking of that speaking of that you, you just made me think of this um one cool thing about the show hunters that I, i've been in i freaked out on like one of the like second or third episodes because you like he like you know meets some other people right and in it one of the actors like i looked at him and i was like that guy looks familiar. And then he spoke and I paused this, you know, the thing real quick and I pull up IMDb and she's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, that's Ted Mosby. Like the actor who is Ted Mosby is just, yeah, Josh Ryder. He's like just in the show and he's a, he's like a movie star, a Jewish movie star from the seventies or whatever. So he's just got this huge porn stash and like walks around with like, you know, most of his buttons undone. And he's got like the Han Solo look, you know, like the, the, like the vest with like all the chest hair. And he's just, He's so over the top, and his character like he had to have so much fun playing this character, you know, because <laughs> like, the, the guy's just great. Uh, do you want to talk about some Pioneer? Sure. So, uh, you know, just just to kind of gloss over what we we're talking about earlier, uh, Bloody ended up winning the the charity event with Vampires, and her and Chris Kavartik both played that deck. We haven't seen that deck in quite a while, so it was cool to like see that deck, see it win. It looked like a good choice for for that meta because it was it did really well. Uh, you know, it beat up on you quite a bit. There were some aggro decks. Definitely beat it up seemed, on me. It, it seemed like a good choice in a really random field because half of the field played like established good decks. Like, like there was a bunch of inverter players or like some, I think there was some mono white, you know, like the, the top tier. And then there's people like, you know, Jim and, uh, you know, Hoogland and MTG Goldfish who played really random decks, right? Like Jim was playing like an elemental themed deck yeah, with Young Pyromancer. With uh, Young Pyromancer and Risen Reef. Yeah, it was like when it it was really funny when we when we like did the the lead in for the show, I talked about the cool decks, right? And I was like, Jim's deck's one of those decks that I, I really like, 
but it's one of those sex when you watch it, it either does all the things or none of the things. Because <laughs> yeah. because when it works, you're like, holy shit! You know, you're just doing all these things. There's like 1,800 triggers. He's got a million lands that plays. Opponent has like three cards, you know, or whatever. But then like every game I'd watch, he's just out of resources and he like draws for his turn. He just like draws shock, or, you know what I mean? Like just some card or like op. It's just like your deck is just not powerful overall. Yeah. You see these young pyromancer and risen reef in the graveyard, and you're like, okay, I see how this game went. <laughs> yeah, they killed your two things and you died. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then uh, there was like a blue green, I think um, blue green Merfolk because what Jeff Hoogland registered. And then um, I don't remember what Saffron uh, played a Selesnya Enchantress deck. Right, you played Enchantress, and then um, a Spidering Spike showed up with a bird who so he played the Boros Karn deck, yeah. which was really cool. It's also um, kind I will of prisony. Yeah, he it was. It's, yeah, he yeah it was it was a cool prison deck. Um, he did the he did the full O two three O by the way. Yeah, so it was really cool because this deck just has four Gideon's interventions main, and we watched him in round one. He just got paired up against Inverter round one. He got like, you know, he just got run over and like uh, he lost a close game and then got run over one of the others. But it's just so funny that he just like has Gideon's intervention main. It's like the best possible card versus versus Inverter, and there was like multiple Inverter players. So I was like, this actually seems like a good call, you know, kind of thing. But uh, like you said, online. There were uh, three big tournaments that happened over the weekend, and we're not going to break down like every deck and where everyone placed because that gets a little monotonous. You're going to hear a lot of the same stuff because you know we see a ton of the decks that you expect to see. But we had some interesting finishes, and we had some cool decks show up. Uh, right, you know, like kind of kind of new, but kind of old. Something borrowed, yeah. something blue, maybe. Yeah, it was basically one of the- it was it was a nice little wedding weekend. Yeah, exactly. But I think what we're going to do is we're going to start with the one of the super qualifiers. Let's do the two super qualifiers because I know you're super excited about what won uh, one of them in the hands of Mox Squirrel by the name. Great, great name, Mox Squirrel. Um, and this first place deck looks really familiar, Ross. Why, why does it look so familiar? It looks familiar because it is 74 of the 75 cards that I played in the streamer charity event. So we're looking at an is it in soul deck, yeah. Yeah, the only change that this person made was to cut one of my two Aethers for Harvesters in the sideboard for one Abrade in the sideboard. So one card different in the sideboard, exact same main deck. I even played the one Ipnu Rivulet that I uh, that I added to, you know, just give a slight, you know, help to the... Uh, inverter matchup. To the Inverter matchup. But otherwise, exactly the same. And honestly, like, I do think the deck is quite good. Um, yeah. I haven't been crushing with it by any means, but it's uh it's also it's one of those decks that like every time you make a small mistake it really punishes you. Which, you know, is a strike against it, but it's definitely good. You know, I, I talked about this on the stream as well when we when we, we did some coverage of you one round and I talked about this deck and how th- this is a Ross Merriam deck. And I, I don't mean that as in like you like playing decks like this. And this deck is one of those decks where you have a lot of hands that are traps. You see your opening hand, you're like, I can cast all my spells. These look great. You know, like I saw multiple people playing this deck and they just keep these hands that have like a counter spell, like maybe a shrapnel blast and a whole bunch of one drops, right? And I'm just like, yo, this hand can't win. Like this this hand, you're, you're going to deal like four points of damage and then die. Like yeah, with a shrapnel blast. Shrapnel blast, blast into 10. And, and... Yeah. And like, the, yeah. And I watch you play this deck and you're you, like, I joked on the show that like, I've never seen you keep a seven. Right, like obviously you keep sevens, but like you're 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 traditionally at like six and five because you're very aggressively mulligan this because you know the hands that you're looking for trying to win because this deck is kind of like a combo deck in a lot of ways, right? Like you you need an insole effect. It's very very synergy driven. Um, I would say I basically never keep a seven that doesn't have either an insole effect or a ghost fire blade. 
You can yeah, like, keep a good one of the seven with a ghost fire blade. Yeah. Uh, but you like, but you really do need to be applying a lot of pressure, and those are your three cards that do apply a lot of pressure. I was hoping Steel Overseer would be a fourth card that does that, but every time I keep a hand relying on Overseer, I'm disappointed, and I'm actually I'm my next step is to try list without it. And I'm hoping that I can still play Ornithopter and Metallic Rebuke even without Overseer. I'd initially thought that I couldn't, but I'm gonna try. I've been impressed enough with those two cards. Less less Rebuke, but actually surprisingly impressed with Ornithopter just as a cheap flyer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously, look, you, you it's really nice to have flyers wearing your soul effects, especially against Mono White and Mono Green, the two Devotion decks, which are pretty popular right now. Um, so I've been happy with it in that regard, but uh, also. It enables some curves that you just didn't have access to before. Uh, notably, turn one, one drop plus Ornithopter. Turn two, and the Ornithopter. Turn three, Skilled Animator, the one drop. And obviously, like you can target them in, in a different order, but it lets you play turn two, and soul turn three, Animator, and st- and have two artifacts to target that can attack mm-hmm. every time. Most of the time, when you did that, like the Animator was targeting a Dark Soul Citadel that was tapped, and you were setting up for the next turn. But that really does like that curve lets you apply so much pressure. And this deck really is interested in that. So I've been pretty happy with the Ornithopter. Animator less so. So I'm going to try out Scrap Heap Scrounger uh, in that spot. Along, like, only three Scrounger. I'm, I'm moving the P to the main. I'm, I'm massaging the numbers. Wait, did you say that you're you're, you're not happy with Skilled Animator or Steel Overseer? Steel Overseer. Oh, yeah. Animator's a four of. Yeah. Because I was going to say, because it seems pretty... It seems like you need the extra, you know... Oh, yeah. Uh, five through eight for, for the yeah, yeah. soul effect. You, you need eight of them. The, the games where you draw one and the ga- are so different than the games that you that you don't. Uh, you're very right. And you do mulligan aggressively. So that I, I've been seeing this deck pop up a little bit more. Um, and I, I'm waiting for it to really explode. I think the metagame is turning in a pretty good way for it. It was already pretty good because I like the matchups against the two Devotion decks. Uh, but now we're seeing things like... Um, um, well, one the, the white devotion deck helped suppress soul tie a bit, which is a bad matchup. But now we're starting to see um, Lotus Breach p- pop back up, and this deck's matchup against Lotus Breach is quite good. You just yeah, put them under so much pressure. Yeah, and that's something that we talked about. You know, I kind of led into the show with everything that's old is new again. Um, we saw a lot of breach this weekend. We had the two super qualifiers and the pioneer challenge. And I think one of them, at least one top eight at every event, right? It's in fourth and eighth in one of the super qualifiers. And then it's, uh, it is, it did not top eight the other super qualifier. So it had one kind of bricked event, but you see some like in, in every event you saw them down the line in like top 16s and top 32s. And I believe there's one in the top eight of the challenge. Uh, I was about to say we, we can check that real quick, but yeah, like yeah, there's one in seventh place in the challenge. So it's really it's really funny. People kind of had this rhetoric going over like the last week. They were like, I, I think it's the time. I think it's the time to have this come back. And you and I had talked about this on the show. You know, like I had kind of uh, compared it to Dredge and Modern, where you won't see it for a while, and then all of a sudden it just pops up and either like puts a bunch of people in the top eight, like you know, like two, the two people who played at both top eight of the event, or they win, and you're like, yeah, it just makes sense because. Not everybody had rest in peace anymore, and so in this point, no one has damping sphere anymore. And they, and you know, it was right for them not to have it. Nobody was playing breach, so I think we're going to see that cycle happen a lot in Pioneer over you know the coming months. And, and it's not like it's not like these people playing breach were reinventing the wheel here. None of these lists are doing anything out of the ordinary. I see a Tomio Collector of Tales in one of them, like you know, as a one of. It's kind of good in the deck. Uh, I see. A drawn from dreams and Caleb Shearer's list—that's pretty neat. 
yeah, he actually top eight at one of the big events with uh, playing the deck as well. He was pacing the field, I think, the entire time. I think it was the PTQ, right? Yeah. Looks like there's a ratchet bomb and some sideboards, like as a, as a wish target. Um, not exactly sure what that's there for, but that's a cool one. So like they're you know they're changing a couple of cards here and there, but they're not altering the structure of the deck in any significant way. So it just shows you how metagame dependent it is, and it'll be interesting to see this next week of tournaments. Like how much do people react to it? Do I need to start putting damping heroes on my sideboard again? Um, it's a possibility, I, yeah. Yeah, and one of the things I like about Isidon Souls, I don't think I, I need to. I think I can beat them with a couple Tormod's Grips and some counter spells, and a, and a really good clock. All I'm saying is, you ever attacked with a Damping Sphere before? That's got to feel pretty good. So like <laughs> beating them down with a Damping Sphere, it's like take five. It's like yeah. uh, like it's like the vintage challenge this year being won by Dark uh, Black Lotus attacking as a as an elk, you know. <laughs> and anytime you uh, anytime you use your like hate cards. Uh, to attack in the Insol deck, you feel pretty good. Like turning on Damping Sphere, turning on things like Tormod Script, uh, any stuff like that. I actually really, I really, really enjoy animating Aethersphere Harvester. So uh, turning that into a five-five against in the aggro matchups is really nice. Yeah, because you can I, still give it lifelink, right? Yeah, yeah. Every all the all vehicles have all of their abilities when if you animate them, even if you don't animate them via crew. Um, so the same thing happened with, with like Smuggler's Copter back in the day. Uh, you could ensoul that attack. You would attack with a flyer and loot when you attacked, which was nice. But harvester, you know, just make it a five five instead of a three five, and you get an extra blocker back, and you just set up races like that. So it's one of the. I, I've I've generally been disappointed with harvester when I have to be crewing it and playing it fair, but when I get to animate it, it is awesome. Yeah, and uh, kind of returning to what we we're talking about here with the super qualifier, with it being technically won by uh, is it in Seoul? I don't know if they play the finals because don't they have two. I think I think first and second place are the exact same prize. Like they get the same prize and they're both qualified. So I'm not 100% on that because it does have like a first and second place. It could just be a random thing. But the second place deck is mono red, but it's not chunky and it's not burn. It's actually like pretty creature heavy and so much the fact that we see two Ember Cleave in the deck. You do see four Wild Slash and four Lightning Strike, so you still have those kind of removal spells, but you're seeing tons of one drops, two drops, three drops here. But you see a lot of the hate creatures main, which I like. Especially the fact that there's three Eidolon of the Great Revel here, and if something like Breach starts being popular again, th this is a card that you want in your main deck and, act and could be actually pretty good in the format. You're seeing Rampaging Ferocidon main in these, so just like kind of all of the creatures that, they're like the Red Prison creatures, and you're even seeing Torbrin, and this is like the the top end, and and that's it. Like, that's that's as high as it goes. And stuff like that. So they're trying to get you dead very quickly. You know, four for Ramnap runs, two Mutavaults, two Castle Amberith, and a bunch of mountains in here. Um, I usually like decks like this. I think they're really good. I think they're well positioned. Um, it just matters what the mono white matchups like, and uh, their removal seems pretty clunky against this deck. You know, a lot of two and three mana removal spells against a deck that's relying on a lot of one and two drops to kill you. Yeah, no, that's definitely true, and I think that's one way to take advantage of mono white is like force them to use their bad removal. It's one of the reasons I like Is it in Soul in that matchup. Their removal is pretty bad. It's also sorcery it's, speed most of the time, too. Yes, exactly. Um, it's interesting to me that, you know, we're almost six months into Pioneer, and there still isn't really a solid agreement on how to build Mono Red. Right. Yeah, the, the first list that came out were all over the place, but they were all aggressive, right? Like, they're all trying to kill you quickly. And then there was, like... 
you know, do we ember cleave? Do we stoke the flames? Like, you know, you're not you're not getting the same kind of builds when you have like stoke and all these remote, you know, removal spells. And then there was that little what is it, about a two week gap where Strong's had broke it. You know, he's playing he was playing chunky red, and and that was the best deck, right? Like I went through all my stuff, found all the cards that I was missing for. I even ordered some of the cards missing because I could never find my uh, the the dragon. I could never find my um, glory bringers. And uh, you and I talked about it for a while. There was a time where I thought that was the best card in Pioneer. It was like, or just one of the most impactful cards in Pioneer. Now that card's kind of like, kind of poopy. You know, there's yeah. a, lot of, a lot of creatures that you want to be killing with it that don't cost like one or two mana. So it's, it's not great. And you're seeing versions like this that are just trying to get you dead really quickly. And it, I think it just depends on like how the format's going. And this version, like when I look at it uh, by Axel Foley, is that, is that a, isn't that Mankind? Isn't that another wrestler type thing? Now that I look at it in, in live, I think that is Mankind or dude love or whatever is he had like 15 aliases but um are you about to look it up just to no, see if I'm axel right foley is uh eddie murphy's character in beverly hills cop i think you're right um is it nick foley it's nick foley is the is the wrestler you're, you're right axel foley is uh I, i've tried to remember the the tune right now and i can't think of it but uh yeah i'm, I'm super interested in a deck like this i think it could be pretty good in, in the format right now because all the cards make sense to me you know what I mean? Like, and, and I think that's the big thing for your mono red deck. The the weird thing to me is that normally when I see the really creature heavy lists that play Embercleave, I see Annex mm-hmm. because of that combo. There, we're just relying on Goblin Rapplemaster to be a really big threat with Embercleave. The Torbrin makes any card great with Embercleave. Yeah, like like Annex is interesting, right? Like that card is obviously very powerful. And Annex versus Annex plus Embercleave is. We've seen how powerful that is in standard. Like, it's messed up, like, how good that is, right? But maybe there's just no reason for it here. Like, a three drop that that's slow, that you're not getting any kind of immediate value off of or a second body off of. And, like, there's not really, like, sweepers in this format too much. So, you're like, that's the big thing in, in standard is, like, you get to play that. And if your opponent's going to, like, shatter the sky or whatever, you, like, have stuff left over, right? And in this format, maybe it's not as relevant. Yeah, you know, or, we haven't seen a lot of Azorius control recently. Uh, I definitely don't see a lot of it across these three events. So not as many Supreme Verdicts. That makes sense. A card I really like, and Aaron Barrett agrees, she actually played four in her mono-red list, uh, is Rampaging Ferocidon. So that taxes your three slot. So it looks like it came down to whether or not they wanted to play Goblin Master or Annex as their card that goes really well with Embercleave and a powerful three drop, and they went into Master instead. Uh, you know, And it's hard to fault them in doing so. But I, I, I agree with you. I like the more creature-heavy mono-red decks. Um, I I think it was it's kind of a trap to try to go like when when the format started everybody tried to build around Swift Spear and Soulscar Mage and it kind of ended up being a trap uh, and they're good enough just as one twos with you know this deck only has fourteen spells in the main and that so you have four stomp your strikes your slashes your ember cleaves I could see having a couple more shocks in the main um, you know just to bump that count up a little bit. But, you know, they're serviceable creatures regardless. Um, and The sideboard really... triggers it a lot, too. There's, like, a decent bit of removal and stuff in there. Yeah, and the issue with Monored is it doesn't have a huge well of good spells that it wants to play in the main deck. Um, and, but it does have a really deep well of creatures, which is why we see a lot of different lists. Um, so I do like leaning into creatures. This deck did quite well. Uh, and I would definitely recommend uh, looking into Rampaging Ferocidon if you haven't and you are a mountain devotee yeah that card is one of those ones where like the price on it's always interesting right because it was banned in standard and you just like never saw them anywhere and it somehow is like still worth money so like it's an interesting thing it's like one of those cards you, it's hard to find sometimes or whatever but 
Speaking of hard to find, Golgari, uh, I'm sorry, Soul Tide Control was pretty hard to find in Pioneer for the last, say, like, month. It was pretty popular on paper, right? And then online, it had disappeared, and you and I talked about some of the reasons for it. A, the deck is expensive. It's pr it's probably the most expensive deck in the format, and it might be by a wide margin. I think this thing's close to $1,000 now. It's 800 to $1,000. And also, like, you know, if people are using renting services, like I know you and I use rental services most of the time, and a lot of people do as well, you can't afford this deck on, on the rental services a lot of times. Like, you probably need to own some portion of it and then fill in the gaps. So we thought that that was possible, a thing, and then apparently the matchup against Mono White is not that great in this deck, but we do see someone finishing fifth in one of these with this deck, so maybe they dodge Mono White, maybe Mono White's a little bit on the decline, but it's interesting to see this deck kind of come back, because for a while this was like the new cool kid on the block after uh, Joel, Lar Joel Larson won a player's tour with it, and then it just disappeared. Yeah, I think part of it is that it's, it's really expensive, so you just see less of it online, um, but I would also agree, like, you we're seeing a little bit less Mono White. That deck kind of took over for a week or so, was super popular, uh, and now people are really tr figuring out ways to hate it. We're seeing, uh, you know, Demir Inverter decks main decking Ashiok Nightmare Muse, which is one of their best cards in the matchup. We're seeing, you know, uh, you know I'm a sideboarding two Fries and Is It in Soul to specifically target them. Uh, and a lot of people have Rending Volley, all these really efficient cards. Um, and we're also seeing a return of Lotus Breach. And Lotus Breach is really good against Mono White. Um, you know, provided they don't have a bunch of hate in their sideboard. And so if they don't have the hate, that matchup's really bad. So it definitely seems like the metagame this weekend turned against Mono White, which is to be expected. Uh, and that certainly helps out Sultai. But that deck, is, you know, I don't think its lack of appearance last week was indicative of how good it was. Um, you know, and I don't think anybody, you know, once we start gearing up to play paper tournaments again... You know, you should not be underestimating Sultai just because it doesn't show up as much online. The same way that, like, you know, in basically every format, the cheap aggressive decks show up more online than they do in paper. It's just, you know, the frequent difference between the two metagames, and I think that's going to maintain itself through normal play, though that might change a little bit for these big events. Like, these super qualifiers will probably mimic more of a paper metagame because everyone understands, like, this is, you know, the real deal. I want to try my hardest, put myself in the best position to win, and I'll, you know, shell out a little bit more in order to do so. And so I think you're going to see a little bit more Sultai in these kinds of events as opposed to maybe a challenge that happens weekly or your, your, your you know, typical league. That's actually a really, really good point. And, you know, filling out the rest of that is just, you know, the the breach decks we talked about and a ton of is, uh, of inverter decks. So kind of, you know, what we expected outside of those decks that we talked about. Then when you look at the other one, you're looking at um, uh, Gold Docket won one of the other PTQs with... Uh, with Inverter, and if you follow him on Twitter, or you see a lot of the, you know, Pioneer discourse on Twitter, um, he's been playing this deck a lot lately, and has been winning something like 80-something percent of his matches. He's been top eighting like, every event that he plays in, and, you know, he's going to the Pro Tour. I think last week he top 16 to PTQ at with, like, an X2 record, and then top four to the challenge, and then this weekend he won a super qualifier, so... Yeah, he's <laughs> also been crushing leagues and stuff with it, and I think you've, you've heard me joke about his list. He has, like, the, the cleanest uh, inverter list. Like, he has the least, like, twos and threes. He has a bunch of fours in a lot of the slots, which I like. His main deck is, is stock, except he's playing... The one thing, he's playing Jace Vern's Prodigy. Right. You know, some people aren't doing that, and instead you see, like, 
oftentimes like two Narset, third downfall, third thought erasure, or, you know, one of those four cards can become like a sensor that you see. So like he's just playing the, the Jace Rings Prodigy build. And I think, it, you know, obviously is a big fan of it because he keeps doing it and keeps winning a lot. And then the other thing you see is four choked estuary. You often see two or three of these and then one or two uh, fetid pools uh, just to give the deck a little bit extra flood insurance. I think once you have Jace Rings Prodigy and the looting that it provides, you just don't need that kind of flood insurance. Uh, and so, you know, having the potential to have more untapped lands in the early game helps a lot. There's definitely a good amount of aggressive decks around. We're seeing more spirits. We're seeing is it soul. We're seeing even a lot, a good amount of the Orzov Auras deck. So, you know, not just, just not having any, you know, stumbles in the early game is getting more important. His list is built to do that. The thing that I want to point to is just four copies of mystical dispute in the sideboard. Yeah, it's the this best card is card fucked up. Yeah. It's just like, the best sideboard card. In Magic yeah. Right by a lot. And he's just playing four of them. Yeah. It just makes sense. He's so, he's really smart and really thin. You know, Inc- just- incredible in the mirror. Good against Soul Tide because you always need to can- contain Uro. It's good against Is It and Soul because you need to stop the In Soul effects. Against Breach and it's yeah, it's pretty good against Breach and it is incredible against Spirits. Like unfucking believable against Spirits. So yeah, it's just one blue mana. Uh, what is it? Essence Scatter most yeah, of the time. Yeah, it's just like, you know, so it's coming in in five of the you know. Basically every matchup other than mono white and mono green. Mm-hmm. And then even then, like it's, you know, I, I've played a lot of magic recently where, you know, I'll have one or two copies of my main deck. D- depending on the deck you're playing, just th- just cancel is good enough half the time, you know, depending on what else you're doing. So the card is super versatile and super good. Like it's one of those ones. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, a year or two from now, people are just like, can we just ban this already? So I don't just, I can have an actual sideboard, more than 11 cards. Because, you know, it's just four Mystical Dispute in every, in every one. But the deck that I'm really interested in from this specific uh, Super Qualifier is the second place list. And the reason I'm interested in it is it's it's an Izzet and Soul list, right? But it's got four Springleaf Drum. It's got four Aether Hub and four Mana Confluence. And, you know, you have the Spire of Industries in here, too. Why is that when you're a two-color deck, Ross? Oh, wait, there's there's a third color in this version. And if you look at the sideboard, there's a fourth color. <clears throat> yeah, so we've got like kind of a fourth. Like it's 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 what it is. It's is in soul splashing, all you know, like these these other two colors, but all their lands produce all of those colors. So it's kind of like it's splashing a color. Yeah. So the the mana base becomes you know twelve five color lands, four spring leaf drums. So you're, all sixteen of your colored sources produce any color of mana, and then you've got your mutual alts and your dark steel citadels. But it's playing three copies of all that glitters, and then in the sideboard four fatal push and four, four thoughtsies. Now I've got to say, I'm not really a big fan of all that glitters, though I have been searching for another payoff card, and maybe it's just that this one is it. Um, so maybe I'll, I'll end up trying this. I just really value having consistent mana, and I'm worried with like four mana confluence, four spire of industry, and then aether of that really only works once. Uh, that you're going to end up in an awkward spot. But I, I actually think the real game here is in the sideboard. I think the Thought Seizes and Fatal Pushes are both really, really strong. Especially if you expect to play more mirrors, right? Like, Fatal Push seems really good. Yeah, it's just more. It's just generally more applicable than, you know, the removal that I'm playing in Is It. Like, I'm playing Fry and Wild Slash. I would definitely upgrade those four cards into four Fatal Pushes instead. Um, you lose a little bit against, like, Gideon of the Trials. Um, but I think overall you, you gain quite a bit. And then Dotsie is, is, is so good against all the control and combo decks. So uh, I'm I'm a little intrigued by this, but I haven't, 
you know, I haven't bit the bullet to try it out yet, but it's definitely on my list of, of things to try out because uh, you you at this point, if you go through like league data and preliminaries and stuff like that, you see this deck about as often as you see the typical is it list, right? The, the people are pretty split. Um, the, the rest of the deck is pretty much the same. Like, you know, they're basically playing one hope of gear poor, a second hope of gear poor over the fourth steel overseer from my list. And then they cut, you know, three lands for these spring leaf drums. And then the three all that glitters and the drum are where I have. Um, oh, God, what do I? Oh, they're not playing skilled animator. That is. So they're playing all the glitters instead of skilled animator? That seems suspect. Um, okay, I'm a little... Um, I mean, uh, you could just cut the overseers and play some skilled animators. And that's definitely what I would do. I actually like skilled animator even more when you have drum. Like you get to accelerate into it sometimes with ornithopter um, and do some cool stuff. Like turn one, drum, ornithopter, play a one drop. Turn two, skilled animator, the one drop. Or yeah. tap the one drop to drum and skilled animator the ornithopter. Uh, seems like a great curve. So I would I would work in some skilled animators, but all the glitters. You know, given that I've been unhappy with steel overseer, I'm a little bit more amenable to trying all the glitters. Um, and maybe I'm I'm underrating it because it's definitely a powerful card. Like it, and and it's nice that it works like in tandem with your in souls. Like sometimes you draw multiple and so you're like, I really wish I could just make one ten ten instead of two five fives. Yeah, uh, and so and you can kind of do that now with all, with all the glitters. So I, I yeah, with, with Gingerbird, it makes Gingerbird like able to just straight up lethal people. Yeah, and Stonecrawl Serpent. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that too. Yeah, forgot about that one. So yeah, definitely oh, yeah. A cool deck here. Uh, I whenever you try it out, I'm definitely gonna watch because is it in Soul's been like on my list of like next things to really try out, and I I can't decide which version I like better. I like this sideboard better, so I think I want to give this one a shot. Um, the third place list from this uh, the same event, I'm also a huge fan of because this one's really cool. This is maybe one of the cooler lists, if not the coolest list, that has come up from the events uh, this weekend. And this one is some dope shit. So it's mono white, but not the mono white that has been, you know, the best deck in the format for the last few weeks. This is mono white life gain. You know, you're starting to see, you know, it's got, you know, Gideon Ally of Zendikar, but you're seeing two Ajani Strength of Pride in here, along with Ajani's Pride Mate. Uh, I'll see you to Life's Bounty. There's you know, Daxos in here, but you're looking at Healer's Hawk. Like, when you're playing Healer's Hawk, you mean it. You know what I mean? Like, you you mean <laughs> yeah. it. And then there's, like, uh, Heliod Suncrowned, uh, Leonin Vanguard. That's another card when you really mean it, you know? Uh, you got three Selfless Spirits and four Walking Ballista, so you still have, like, the Walking Ballista-Heliod Suncrowned combo in here, and then lots of ways to really get value off of having creatures that have lifelink. And then you're looking at four Legions Landing as well, a card that you're a huge fan of, um, it just makes sense in this deck since there's so many one drops to also play Legion's Landing to kind of like you can cheat on lands a little bit, get a little extra oomph, and it kind of helps you out in the matchups where they're just trying to one for one you a lot. And then your your it's your like payoffs here, Knight your, of the White Orchid. Yeah, let's say you don't have to play that piece of crap. And then um, you got these you get these two Planeswalkers that are really good payoffs here, which is like pretty good because they both do really busted things when you have a decent draw, right? You know, like you're looking at getting either being a 5-5 or emblining to make, you know, all your creatures big, or Johnny kind of spinning out more Johnny's Pride Mate so you can go big and wide at the same time in some matchups. The only thing that I, I want to change in this deck, looking at it right away, the mana base is 20 planes and two Castle Arvindales. I think you could play at least one Nykthos in this deck. 
I mean, you have, you're a four walking Ballista deck. There's no triple white card in here. You, you mentioned this when we were looking at this list before the show. And I don't think it's going to mess up your hands too much. Because honestly, there's not even a ton of double white in this deck. You know, you have like Daxos and you have like your Planeswalkers, but those are four drops, right? And you'll probably have a white source for, for Legion's Landing. And yeah, 20 planes, because you want to make sure they you have a white source turn one, because Castle Armandale doesn't come into play untapped. But I think I would take the risk. I, I would take the risk on one, uh, but not more than that. I, I, I think you could play exactly one, go with your 19 planes. That's it. We haven't seen a lot of white aggressive decks in Pioneer. You know, we saw a few of them early, you know, in the format when things were still coming together. Um, I like the idea of putting the, the Heliod Ballista combo into a more aggressive shell because your opponent is just going to be really incentivized to, you know, stop that aggressive game plan, especially this one that's highly synergistic. So they've got to, you know, kill the creatures before they start getting going and making the Ajani's Pride Mate so large. Uh, you do have the Planeswalkers to provide a little resilience if people overload on removal against you. Heliod is also really great against that plan. This is a powerful card. Like it, the the card that it's not really the combo that made Mono White Devotion great. I think it's just the fact that it, it's a really good Heliod deck. Uh, and this is also obviously an, an excellent Heliod deck. And I, I'll reiterate the point that you made about the the importance of being able to go tall and wide at the same time. You know, you're, you're usually when you're trying to present a huge battlefield of creatures, you get around blockers, but all your creatures are really small individually. With this deck, you can play a bunch of creatures, but then between a Johnny's Pride Mate triggers and Daxos triggers and Heliod triggers on top of the Daxos, you start, uh, you know, creating individual creatures that are gigantic. And sometimes, like, I can imagine this deck playing a Ballista on turn two, and then on, like, turn four, it's a 5-5 five five somehow. You know, just with all, all the different like, all the different things that you do. So, uh, I'm I'm interested by a deck like this. I'm I wonder how it does because there's basically there's no removal here. You know, it's playing Selfless Spirit and Alcyon of Life's Bounty to protect its key creatures, so that when you go tall, they can't just kill the tall creature, right? Um, but you know how it it can't really interact with opposing combos it can't interact with inverter and breach and things like that so it it really needs to be able to apply a lot of pressure and it's unclear exactly like what the goldfish turn of this deck is just by looking at it because you're not sure like how reliably and how powerfully the synergies come together uh in a regular game so this is the kind of deck i would have to play with to get a feel for but if it's killing people on like turn 4 and 5 then yeah, I'm interested. Yeah, it, it seems good, right? And it with placing third in this event, like one win away from getting itself into the Pro Tour, that, that's a resounding result from this kind of deck. Because like, these, these turns were, what, nine rounds long? Yeah. In the Swiss? Yeah, these were large tournaments. So th- these these records, it's, it's more than just 5-0-ing a Swiss, right? Like this is, you know, playing as top decks, like you said, uh, the, the competition's going to be at the higher end of the spectrum, because we're looking at these decks, it's like it's pretty much all the decks you expect to see and all the good ones. So when you see a deck like this, like maybe just found a spot, you know, to, to compete and do well. Also, in the top eight, we saw another Sultai deck. Um, seventh place was another mono white deck, but also with a twist, right? It was a little bit different than the typical mono whites that we've been seeing. You see all the usual suspects, you know, down to three, Inspector Walking, Ballista, Heliod, all that stuff. But there were four Karn, the great creator in this main deck. So pretty cool here to have like the Karn sideboard put into this deck. So this is like, I call this the Jerry Thompson. Whenever you take like 
two decks and you kind of just jam them together. You would take like the best deck, like mono white, right? And then we saw that like mono green was doing really well. And the reason mono green was so good was like, you got to kind of like cheat on mana and it had Karn and this cool package. And you're like, well, I can, I can kind of do that too, right? Like I'm not cheating on mana, but like I'm doing good things these other turns. I have these cool combos, but also Karn shuts down my opponent from doing that. You know, it, it does win the mirror because they can't use their walking ballista, you know, kind of stuff. So also like, you know, finds really awesome cards in the mirror that I'm sure will yeah. dominate Sky Sovereign console flagship, the Immortal Sun. Ma- it's about, <laughs> I, do like, I do like the Immortal Sun quite a bit. I like that you can find a removal spell in the sideboard too with Glass Casket. You know, there's, there's another walking bliss that just gives you extra copies of walking bliss. Yeah, they moved one to the sideboard. The Glass Casket and the Cataclysmic Gearhulk, which are like, you know, yeah. this is the first white Karn deck I've seen. And those are those are nice ones to be able to find. Yeah. Especially in this deck, like Cataclysmic Gearhulk, like, you have all the different card types frequently. Like Enchantment, Artifact, Planeswalker, Land, like you're keeping You've a lot of You've got one of stuff. each. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're, you're keeping, it's, it's a really sweet card. That's one of the cards that like, it kind of snuck it kind of snuck in unnoticed in the last few years of like, this card was actually really powerful. They got printed and it showed up in sideboards and some stuff. It just, it was part of a standard that like never really where it got to shine. But it, when it was in sideboards, I remember I parked up every time. It was like, this card is, it's a really, really powerful effect. And every time we've seen this kind of effect in magic, it's been powerful at some point in time in its existence in like standard or in modern, or we've even seen it in legacy in the white weenie decks. They play a cataclysm or whatever in their sideboard yeah. and stuff. So. I think one of the things that we learned from Aspiring Spike building the mono green devotion deck is that Karn the Great Creator is just a good card in, in Pioneer and one that had been underexplored. And he started putting it into a bunch of different shells. And now we're seeing other people, you know, play around with it, putting it into mono white devotion. It works really well when you can generate a lot of mana. So that way you can Karn, wish for something impactful, and play that spell immediately. Yeah. Um, so it definitely makes sense in this shell. There's some sacrifices here. You see that there are no Gideons in this deck. You know, no Gideon of the Trials. So I think you lose some percentage points against um, Inverter. Though Karn is a good card in that matchup too. Uh, you know, getting to wish immediately on turn four for Torment Script so they can't quick combo you and just grind through their removal, especially when you have a Planeswalker, is pretty nice in that matchup. So it, it definitely makes sense. I think it's a, a good fit for the deck. And especially a good fit if it like you said it gives you a significant edge in the mirror uh not only being able to get you know to shut off opposing ballistas but you can wish for that glass casket and exile your opponent's heliod um so you have you know more effective answers for heliod this list is playing a bunch of them in the main three baffling end and two elspeth conquers death so i think containing heliod is basically the most important thing to do against mono white regardless of your matchup so Karn, you know, both shutting down Ballista and helping you contain Heliod and being a good threat outside of that, you know, finding those impactful cards like I noted earlier. Um, that, that is really cool. We're definitely, we're seeing people kind of innovate with these whitelists. Last week it was with trying, the, yeah. the Blue Splash. And now we see with Karn, not a lot of the blue deck. We, we said that last week that that was something to keep an eye on. Didn't really follow up with a good performance. It's the second time it's happened. Like, I think it happened like a month ago. Like, someone did well at some event, or I can't remember. Someone on Twitter was talking about how they were, like, you know, crushing leagues with it. And then I'd watch other streamers and stuff try it out. Like, I remember watching Todd try it out, and I think they just, like, didn't like it. The deck was clunky for them, or, you know, they didn't put in the time and the effort with it and stuff. So, you know, it happens. It happens a lot of times in a lot of formats. You see this deck, and it's really, really cool, and then nothing ever happens. It's just a random flash. It's, it's a one-hit wonder you know, kind of like, you know, in the, in the music world type thing. But, um, I, I like the look at the, the look of this list. I'm a big, I'm just a big Karn fan period. You know, I'm a, I'm a disciple of Karn. I, I like the card a lot. 
I own a lot of that card, so it'd be real nice if it, uh, the, you know, the price of it went a little back up. I might have some foil copies and some some Japanese copies and some foil Japanese copies and stuff. So, uh, and I've been actually I've been looking. You know, it's the worst part about it. When they came out, I knew that it would be like a Tron card, and I was like pretty excited. So you know, the the World Spark Planeswalkers all have the like Japanese alternate art. So I I ordered a bunch of them. I got like you know like six or seven of them because I was like super excited. I haven't got to play with them yet. And I'm like really mad because I like I want I got them because they're cool and I want to play with them. And I remember I even played the mono green deck in paper somewhere, and I forgot to bring them with me because <laughs> someone was like, "Hey, I have the deck for you." And I was like, "Cool!" Like you know, I, I have the couple cards you're missing, and I brought all the cards they were missing, and I forgot to bring the the cards to replace their cards because I just wanted to you know play with my my cool fancy you know planeswalkers and stuff. So because like you've you've seen some of my decks, like I usually I like the cool versions of certain things. I'm not a big foil guy, but I do like. Like, you see my NAR sets. I have, like, the alternate R sets and stuff. Foil cards suck. Yeah, I'm not a big fan, especially in competitive stuff. Like, my commander decks might have some foil cards in them, but, like, whatever. I have some bad news for you, Tannen. What's that? It might be a while before you get another chance to play with your cards. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> it might be a little while. You know what? I'm going to teach Natalie how to play. I'm going to give her a deck that's got artifacts in it, and I'm just going to play four cards, and she's going to know my pain. Right, no. <laughs> no mercy. <laughs> no mercy, but... Um, so if we look at the last tournament that we were going to cover, and that's just the the Pioneer Challenge. Um, again, I assume this one was bigger than normal. I didn't I didn't look at the amount of people that played in it. I think it, based on the standings, I'm guessing it was a small eight rounder, so like one fifty ish. That's still big for a for a classic, I think, or whatever. So, um, Bant Spirits won it. Uh, nothing really too crazy to talk about there, but I do want to talk about a couple things. They they had Curious Obsession in their deck, a card that we don't always see, but I've always been curious if i want to play it we we saw it a couple months ago and then we stopped seeing it around the time of the pro the players tours and now we're seeing a little bit of it again i guess it's like maybe they got to grind a little bit more in some matches i don't know um yeah i i I mainly think it's just selfless spirit isn't very good and so they're just want to play something else in that spot yeah you know they're playing some curious obsessions other than that like these spirit stacks are basically all the same you if you we haven't talked about it from the first two events but if you look through like there's a bunch in the top 16s Spirits is just one of the most popular decks right now. Uh, definitely something you should be prepared for. Um, one thing that I do like, and this one has it, it's pretty cool. There's four null in the sideboard. Really good against the mono white deck. Good enough against like is it in Soul and stuff like that. So like you're looking at they have four mystical dispute, four and null in their sideboard. So they're actually just kind of like covered, right? They have these like eight one mana counter spells that they can bring in in matchups. And when you're this like two drop three drop aggro deck that's trying to amass a board state. I can't stress enough how good an effect for one mana like this is. Trust me, it's bonkers coming from a guy that's played a lot of Delver decks in Legacy, where like I get to hold up Red Elemental Blast, or I get to hold up Brainstorm into something. Like It's very important that you utilize all of your mana every turn with these decks. Yeah, I'm, I'm normally not a fan of building my sideboards like this, where like I'm just playing four ofs, but in the case of this deck specifically, I agree with you. Just having the most powerful, cheapest effect in a given matchup, and it seems to me like a null is almost there for mono white by itself. You know, you you do get a little bit of splash damage against Is It in Soul, also very good against like Orzov Auras, uh, and, and those are those two matchups. Our matchups were having a one man effect like that is huge, like that because those those decks have one mana spells themselves. They get underneath you pretty easily, uh, and the, a null really helps you out in both of those matchups. So. Love having just four of them, even though it, you know, it's not going to come in in a ton of matchups. It's going to be so important in the matchups where it does come in uh, that it helps you enough to be worthy of four slots. 
And speaking of decks that we saw months ago, haven't seen for a while, uh, the second place list, I know a lot of people on our Discord are going to be really happy about this. I get asked about this deck at least once a month. Uh, Boros Feather got second place in this challenge. And this is a deck I have not... This is a name I haven't heard in a long time. <laughs> yeah. I... And I don't really get this. Like, nothing... They're not... Sometimes, like, old archetypes can... You can see them break out a little bit. And there's something new about them. Like, that, so they figured something out. Or they found, like, a twist to it. And there really isn't one here. This is the stock Boros Feather deck from four months ago. Every time I see this, like, this happen, I, I think it's, it's a, it's a three-parter. I think they played perfect, drew perfect, ran perfect for like the entirety of the tournament. You know, and like they, they like they, knew the matchup way better than their opponent every time. Yeah, like you know, what I mean, like like obviously there's skill involved, but like they also drew the card when they needed to. Like they probably had to keep some one landers along the way and just drew the second land on turn two, like without ever having to like you know uh, what is it, uh, defiant strike to draw a card and hope to get there. You know, they just drew it naturally or whatever. Because like you know, we saw we saw this do well at the the Pioneer Open in paper recently, like one of them was, I think a win away from top eight. And like, I think they lost their winning in the last round and they had to keep one of those hands that I was talking about where their hand was like, you know, a bunch of one and two drops and a bunch of cards that did stuff, but they had to keep a one lander and like, they just did not draw their second land and they still made the game close. You know what I mean? The, the deck does powerful things, but you're right. It, it It's failing is consistency. There's really, yeah. there's not really ways to, you know, fix your draws. You get a little bit of scrying done with 10th district legionnaire and like God's willing and that's basically it. Titan Strength, I guess, scries as well, but that, that's very little. The you know the real draw to this deck is how good is Reckless Rage in the metagame, and it's pretty good against Mono White, right? It's good against Spirits. They don't, they don't have a lot of removal for Feather, and if you just like Reckless Rage their entire board away, so maybe that's a, a big advantage of this deck. It might be good against Mono White, uh, but I can't imagine this deck being good against Inverter. Also, there's like no soul tie, right? There's no deck that's like kill your thing, kill your thing, Thoughtseize you, kill your thing, play a threat, and you're like, well, I'm dead. That's inverter. You know, that's basically what inverter does. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like inverter does that too, but they, um, I'm say, yeah, it definitely does that too. The, the thing with this deck is when I look at it, it's got 19 creatures, 22 instants, right? And you're trying to draw like the right mix of both. You know, like at least the numbers are correct. Right? You want to draw like less creatures than instants, but you still want like one or two. You want one more creature than they draw removal spells, right? Or you need to draw the instant that stops the removal spell if you don't draw... You know what I mean? Like, if this, then that. If this, then that. If yeah. this and this, then that. And, like, I don't like decks where I have to do that. And, uh, you know, t to some extent, is it and Soul is kind of like that, but it's a little bit simpler. Like, you just need Artifact and Soul. It's 5 plus 5 plus 5 plus 5, like, in your deck. Like, I talked about that on the when, we were, when, I, when I was doing casting everything. I was like, the thing about this deck is, like, you can see where, like, you know, you're really trying to push as much damage as possible these two turns, because, like, my stuff's going to die, and, like, I need to get them to, like, a number that's that's feasible from here. Or, like, if they don't kill it, then they're just dead. And, like, you don't get to be in that spot with this deck. Yeah, you, you really don't. And you do need, like, the... You need a volume of resources as opposed to just assembling a sp specific synergy. So your deck is inconsistent and mulligans, you know, doesn't mulligan as well. Granted, you know, Feather and Dreadheart Arcanist can give you some card advantage. So those will, those will help out there uh, when you mulligan and can help undo. I really do think it, it's really Reckless Rage and Feather that are carrying this deck. So if those cards are well positioned, this deck might be fine. But it's definitely, it's always going to have issues until it gets, you know, some upgrade from new cards. 100% agree. Uh, continue with the theme, Ross, of this, this is a name I haven't heard in a long time. Paging Dylan Hand 
in third place in this tournament is a Kethis deck. You heard that right. Kethis the Hidden Hand uh, got third place in the tournament. Um, not, not only just third, what? they were 8-0 after the Swiss. Yeah, like so this is... They went 9-1 overall. This is one of those decks when I look at it and I look at the deck list, it just hurts me. Like it hurts my head because I don't even know what's going on half the time. Like I had to look up half these cards. Like I don't remember what... You know, Tassar and uh, Ancestors Apostle did. I couldn't remember what uh, Diligent Excavator did. You know, just like little things like that. And, I mean, this deck's all over the place. I mean, it, it looks like a pretty typical Kethis deck to me. Uh, you know, Terrarian's really important for getting the mana right. Uh, you know, Mana Base looks good. I think it, it just needed to find a time when there was a little bit less graveyard hate. Right? A lot of people, when, when Lotus Breach and... Um, you know, at, at, I guess at first it was the Oath of Nissa ban was really big for this deck. It looked like Kethos might be really good, and I had actually pecked Mox Amper as one of the first cards to get banned in the format uh, when we did our you know first show. And but the but the Oath of Oath of Nissa ban really hurt because that was like a nice easy legendary card that you could play four copies of. It, like once you played multiples, it would fuel your graveyard of legendary things, and then it you know. You know, gave you a, a huge increase in consistency, um, but you did gain Wishclaw Talisman from Throne of Eldraine. I think that helps this deck quite a bit. Um, and it, you know, once once you have that, it looks pretty good. But the metagame emerged. The metagame that emerged was one where there was just so much graveyard hate because of Lotus Breach and Inverter. And Lotus Breach ended up, you know, people moved over to Damping Sphere. And with Inverter, people kind of moved away from Graveyard Hate and moved towards um, things like Gideon of the Trials and Gideon's Intervention and these weird sticky permanents. Because the Graveyard Hate, like, you know, only buys you a little bit of time. So I think we're seeing this deck, you know, again, this is probably a person that you know, ran pretty well, probably knows their deck incredibly well. And that's one of the things that really helps out. The Kethis deck, you know, even as a someone who plays combo decks a lot, this deck is really hard. Really, really hard. Yeah, I want nothing. I want nothing to do. Like when I see these decks, I act as if they don't exist, and then I figure out what I like. You know, if you were I were playing a team of it, if like somebody played this deck against me, I'd be like Ross, what do I have to do? Like, like <laughs> yeah. t- 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 tell me what I'm supposed to do in this matchup, and I'll do it. You know, like like you know, because like it just hurts my head. Like I said, I looked at it. Like I want nothing to do with this in real life. No, but it's definitely a powerful deck, um, and it has a lot of really good ways to get around interaction with Hope of Gearpoor, which you can loop with Emery. And Teferi. Actually, like that, those three cards like actually just lock your opponent out of casting non-creature spells for basically the entire game. Um, I got well, yeah, yeah. Um, so that, like that kind of thing is something that you can work towards. Uh, the Liliana Last Hopes, I think, are really, really good here. Just deals with cheap creatures out of aggressive decks and buys you a lot of time. And then just you're milling yourself just to fill your graveyard, and usually like you're missing a piece. And you just regrow the piece that you need, whether it's Diligent Excavator or, you know, the the Kethis itself or, or you know, the Tayshar to finally sort of go infinite. Uh, I, I think the Lilianas are really good at just tying the room together. You don't want to flood on this card. Two copies is fine. You want to see, like, one if the game goes a little bit long. Uh, but it, it really does fill an important role. And then, it, you know, on top of that is excellent against, against aggressive strategies. So um, th- this is, this to me is kind of this week's Let's wait and see deck. You know, next week when we look at tournament results, are a lot of people playing it? Or is it a flash in the pan and nobody's playing it? Um, 
uh, I could see it going either way. Yeah, the thing for me, the last thing I'm going to say about it is, you know, if, if we were to play it, like, you know, I'm being a little more serious now about, like, never wanting to play this kind of thing, and I usually don't, but is this better than Breach? You know, like you said, if there's no graveyard hate, like, that's a thing. You know, is it, if it's better positioned, if it's the same kind of speed, then, yeah, it might be. But if it's not better than Breach for me, that deck seems, I don't know, more straightforward and easy to me in what you're trying to do. It's also a little bit, you know, a little better against graveyard hate, a little bit more... Um uh flexible like you can just win with ugin or nimizit out of the sideboard a lot of lists are playing and it's not like you both list, both decks are vulnerable to damping sphere so it's not like you you are getting anything in the trade-off you're still going to be losing to that to that hate so i could definitely see that kathis just being a worse breach i think uh i think the kathis deck is better against counter spells because they're fairy and hope so that makes a yeah that's actually a really good point yeah so that 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 could be where where you want your your edge is against counter spells in particular. Yeah, that could be a really good point. And it, you know, I, I I'm going to vote on the end of I think it's a flash in the pan, but we'll see. You know, I might be eating my words in two weeks when this like wins a premiere event online and like it's like all over the place. I'm like, well, shit. You know, because I will say this, it, it is abusing one of the more powerful cards in the format that no one's using in Mox Amber. That card is very 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 powerful when it works. You know, Emery with Mox Amber is a thing that, you know, we were trying to do, like, one of the best decks in the best deck in Modern was doing for quite a bit, you know, before they banned some of that stuff. So, like you said, you know, one of the first shows we did, that was on our list of cards we thought would be banned, you know, along with Dig Through Time and some other stuff. But, you know, we got some hits, we got some 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 wrong, but we'll have to see. Um, other than those decks we talked about, everything else is kind of, like, the decks you expect, nothing really crazy to see here. You're seeing, like, you know, some more mono greens, more inverter you know, uh, filling out this this top this top eight and a and an underworld breach deck. So nothing really crazy. You did see a Saram's uh, Auras deck in the top eight as well, which is really cool. This deck is popping up a little bit more. It did you didn't really see it right after the player store, even though um, um, Yuka Hero did take second with it. It kind of just you know fell off the map completely, but it's risen back up. This is just a solid tier two deck. Yeah, also, I'm starting to see more and more Hushbringers being, like, a, a staple in the sideboard, which is pretty cool, because there's a lot of, like, you know, Uro and Inverter and, like, a lot of these cards that do stuff when they come to play them on a white deck has a good bit of creatures that do this thing, these things as well, and if, like, you can stick this creature in play, it's probably enough just to slow your opponent down enough to, to get them dead over the yeah. next couple turns. And and this was a card people looked at right when Inverter started becoming a thing, and they realized out of most decks, it's not very good. Because either they just kill it, they have you know plenty of good removal to answer a one-two, or you just let them start slamming inverters and they'll just beat you with six-six flyers. Yeah. Um, but this is a deck that is going to beat that six-six flyer, so you don't have to worry about that, and can protect the Hushbringer against removal. Uh, you know you want to get one enchantment on it really, so that you can Karametra's blessing and give it. I know it gets yeah. So you, the hexproof and indestructible only happen if the creature is an enchantment itself or is enchanted. Um, so you want to get one enchantment on it, then you can Karametra's Blessing, but also, you know, regardless, Alcyid will, will protect it. Uh, and it's just, you know, it's a flying lifelink creature. I, I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't be that surprised if they like bring this in against, um, just red decks against red decks. Yeah. You know, it stops Goblin Chain Whirler. If that's a problem, it stops, actually stops the Rampaging Ferocidon trigger of like them taking a point when a creature enters. Um, if that's yeah, at all relevant. It won't say, you know, it won't stop the static ability of stopping life gain, which is what you really care about. But, you know, uh, and definitely stopping Uro seems great. 
Uh, and again, against like Sultai, like, you know, you can protect this card and uh, just build on it instead of some other creature uh, and go from there. So I like it in particular in this deck. Um, it makes a lot of sense, whereas in most decks I, I really didn't. And, and you're right, it's definitely a, it's a staple of the archetype at this point. Yeah, I, I will say this the one the, the one thing whenever um, spoiler season starts and you see cards of sets and stuff come out, when this card got spoiled, I actually thought it wasn't real because of the artwork. Because I was like, that does not look like a magic card. You know, it looks like someone just like wrote a magic card they wanted and then they just took a file from like their computer and just like put you know what I mean? Like they just Googled weird looking fairy with lips, <laughs> you know, or something sure. like, or whatever, and like they just like put because because like I, I will say this, the artwork's beautiful. I, th- I think it's great. It's it's very well detailed. But I looked at it. I was like, that doesn't look like a magic card to me, you know. And like I think about it every time I look at this card. I'm like, it is actually real. It's like the the Santa M and M's commercial. They are real. <laughs> you know, like, they do <laughs> exist. They, that's it. They do exist. Yeah, that kind of thing. So. Oh yeah, esoteric commercial references from the '90s. Tana, I I got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You and I grew up just yeah. right in front of the the big wooden TV or whatever. Yeah. So. Do you remember the? Uh, do you remember the Surge commercial? Which with the one? two guys? Uh, I always remember the one where the the commercial starts and it's a beach party and everything's exciting and everybody's having a good time. And then it pans out and you see the two guys are watching a commercial for Surge inside this commercial. And they're sitting in like a frozen wasteland, like outside for some reason. You know, they're like in Antarctica, just on a couch with a TV that somehow works in this freezing weather and like in a remote area. And they, they're both just sitting there and, you know, on the commercial, they just opened a can of Surge and the party started. And they're both sitting there and they have their cans and they like, they you hear them open and one dude looks at the other and goes, dude, mine's busted. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I didn't remember it until I was like, I was like, what are you talking about? And then when you talked about them like sitting in the, I was like, oh yeah, he opens the can and nothing happens. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I remember this now. Dude, mine's busted. I, I, I just, I remember that commercial to this day. Yeah. There's some, there's some other really good ones that started in the 90s. I believe the Budweiser stuff started in the 90s. During I, I think the that Super was Bowl. exactly 2000. Oh, I, I think was like, it was the 2000 it was like, Super Bowl. Yeah, I knew it was like right around that time. Yeah, so they so filmed like it in three the weeks after the 90s ended. Yeah, so, so they, they filmed that in the 90s. So I guess it kind of counts, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> but uh, I was going to say, they're, they're, I miss like video game commercials. Like the really ridiculous like Sega Genesis commercials or like the Super Nintendo Because they were like... They were like bold in your face, felt like almost eighties ish. You know, it's like the kid in like the jean shorts and like <laughs> and they're like they're like, Yeah and like you know, like, you can't see me do the, the hand of the air thing here, like the the fist pump, but like or like what was it, the power glove? You know, like the power <laughs> the power glove or whatever. I mean, God, I miss all this stuff from when I was a kid. They're like so, transported to this fantastical realm and they, you know, yeah. they're just like fighting demons, like have you seen the early 90s commercials for Magic the Gathering? Like the one with the Minotaur and stuff in it? Um, I think I have, but I just, I don't Horrible. recall them. But I feel like, I, oh yeah, I'm sure they are. I think it's like right when Ice Age happened and like they were like, you know, like by Ice Age or something, you know, or, or Homelands or whatever. And I was like, it's so bad. Like you should Google it. You could probably find it on YouTube. I remember, I think they played it during one of the pro tours. Remember we used to have like the lunch break and they'd give you like cool stuff. Yeah. You know, during during the pro tour, I think they played all the commercials once in there during then because there were some other ones and stuff. Or Sounds like something some... they would have done for like the 25th anniversary PT. Yeah, well, I was too busy playing at Ross than yeah. seeing any of the coverage. I gave you so. the opportunity to plug that. You're welcome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is nice to uh, 
I would say I always get to make the joke about that one. Like people always joke about uh, and say, you know, shit about people who had like special invites. And it's just like my biggest cash and highest finish ever to Pro Tour is at an event that I was not qualified for. So suck it. <laughs> <laughs> you played the event. That's what counts. Yeah, I got to play the event. I won some games, you know, uh, we did really well on day two. So that, that mattered and stuff. And I had a lot of fun. So, yeah, you know, it was pretty great. I, d- I didn't get to enjoy the city at all because we didn't find out until like two weeks before that we were qual- you know that i was going to play in it so i was like all right time to time to book a flight <laughs> you really try to figure it out also i forgot that there's like nothing on sundays and i booked a monday flight and then sunday i like wake up and i'm like oh shit what am i gonna do today so there's like nothing to do so i ended up like hanging out for a minute and then i got on my phone and found like a one-way home for only like 90 bucks or something and i was like yeah whatever i cash this event i'll just go home you know like you know it's like whatever it saves a full day i didn't have to get a hotel room <clears throat> My, my plan usually for Sunday Pro Tours is just Google brunch near me. <laughs> what looks good? Who has the best special on mimosas? Yeah, my teammate won thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars by drafting some set that was never meant to be drafted. Like drafting Alpha? Uh, Yeah. Was it Alpha yeah. or was it Beta? I think it was. Maybe it was Beta, but it was... It was yeah, a... I think it was Beta. I don't think yeah, they have Alpha it, packs. Because Alpha doesn't have, you know, Cop Black or, or Volcanic Island. Yeah, that... I remember when, when he knew he was doing it, he, like, you know, Amaz was, like, telling us, he's like, yeah, like, what should I do with this? I was like, you, you're acting like this is something that we've actually done before. And he's like, <laughs> yeah. what do you mean? I was like, look, I was alive. I bought these packs off the shelf, and no one knew what the hell drafting meant. Yeah, you draft know? was, like, developed by players, and the, yeah. the only... The first set that they designed for draft was, like, Visions. Yeah. Well, 1997. Like, sealed was kind of a thing. Like, you know, people had, like, heard of it and done it. It wasn't really super popular back then. Like, I don't remember ever seeing anyone play Sealed or whatever. But, I, you know, I did open these packs and stuff, and I was just like, he was like, what should I, you know, what should I be trying to do? And I'm like, I, I don't freaking know. Open <laughs> Fireball. Yeah, open fire. <laughs> yeah, open something. Well, no, no, no. Open something really expensive, and then hopefully someone next to you is passing directly to you, opens something really expensive, and passes you Fireball. Yeah. You know? Hopefully they open a Mox or they open an Underground or something like like, like happened. I'll admit, as much as I didn't love those events, I liked watching them. I liked watching the people open the packs. Because, like, some packs were just so heinous. They had, like, five basic lands in them because that could happen. Yeah, and, like, there was no way to, like, get basic lands to people. So the packs had multiples so that you could actually, like, you know, have enough to build a deck. Oh, yeah. I remember, I remember saving my allowance for two weeks, buying a pack, and opening up, like, four forests. And being like, I don't play green. Well, let's be real. I played green. Every little kid played green. But... You know, I had my Craw Worm deck and my Craw Giant deck. I, I loved that deck. But Actually, when my brother played Magic, and he, he's the one who taught me, he explicitly did not play green. He had four decks. They were all monocolored, and it was the four color, four non-green. It's actually, um, we used to make this joke all the time. You know, whenever you meet random people, and they're like, hey, what do you do for a living? You're like, oh, I, like, I play Magic and stuff. And, like, and they're like, oh, yeah, I used to play that. And you're like, oh, really? And they're like, you know, what color do you play? And you, like, know what kind of player they are immediately when they ask you that question. You're like, oh, God, this conversation is going to be bad. <laughs> <laughs> I know that feeling. Uh, kind of a little bit of everything. <laughs> just just a, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, you know, like that kind of stuff. But uh, we, I think we had a couple of questions for this week, didn't we? Uh, I know we had at least oh, yeah. one for the mailbag questions. Thanks for bringing that up. I do think we have some mailbag questions. Well, there was somebody posted in it. It doesn't actually look like it was a question for this week. I thought somebody posted some mailbag submissions. Oh, we just got the one person asking if they can use their heads I win, tails you lose coin to jokingly see who goes on the play. My answer my answer is yes. You think that they would get mad at you? No. I think some people would. So, like, I wouldn't do it with a random person. I would have to, like, fill them out 
Um, or if I knew them, yeah, I would do it. Like, I think, yeah, I think someone would get mad at you, but it just, I think you can gauge your opponent well enough. Yeah, if you did it every round for an entire tournament, I bet you would get two or three people who got mad at you. Here we go. Good question. I'll, I'll ask this one because I'll, I'll answer it myself. What's your favorite way to decide who goes first? Or what are some of the cooler ways you've ever had to decide who goes first in a game of Magic that aren't the normal ways? One of my favorites, and I always try to get it if I ever see someone doing it, is the rock, paper, scissors. With, with rock, lobster, paper, tiger, and scissors, lizard? Yeah, that's yeah. obviously my answer, too. Every time my opponent suggests that to me, I'm like, yeah, I'm in. Yeah, just, snap, just snap yes every time. Yeah. yeah, as long as I get to pick both. Um, anytime, or, the, or they pick first, I guess. Yeah, especially when I was getting into Magic the second time, and a lot of the rhetoric they used around me um, when they would talk about me on coverage is like they talk about me being a poker player. Is uh, some people would hear about that and they'd want to play poker to see who goes first. You know, you get like five dice and you make a poker hand. Some people would be like, let's do seven. I'm like, that's too complicated. You're ever, you know, like blah blah. So you do like five. And I remember I lost with like a straight once, which is unbelievable by the way i remember i i i, I tilted off real hard i was like yeah, obviously like that's just like getting one out it and stuff i was like it's just so hard to lose that way they just like rolled a full house i was like and they were like yeah i'll go first like like nothing happened and i'm like do you do you know the, the the odds of this like have you never played yahtzee before tannin do you no i've actually never played yahtzee before in my life isn't that the game where you just roll dice and yell at each other yeah, I've played like a hundred games of Yahtzee in my life. Why am I not? Su- you're an old man. Like, why am I not surprised? I'm like five years older than you, but you're actually like thirty <laughs> yeah. years older than me. You, you, so, like, you you roll the dice, and e- each round you you get to roll the dice three times, and after each roll, you can set aside any number of dice to not re-roll. Um, and you're trying to fill out a sheet, and there's like you know ten different or twelve different scoring categories. And one of them is small straight, so four in a row. One of them is large straight, five in a row. One of them is full house. Three of a kind, four of a kind, uh, Yahtzee, which is five of a kind, and then yeah. So there's twelve, uh, there's thirteen categories because then there's like there's one just filler category where you just get the total of the dice that you can throw away to, and so that's seven. And then the top row is ones, twos, threes, fours, fives, sixes, where you only count those. Um, so if you like, happen to roll a bunch of sixes, but you've already used your four of a kind or something like that, um, and so you're and like. At the end of the round, you pick a place to score in, and sometimes you just have to pick, like, the full house when you didn't have one and you just score zero, but you score, like, 40 points for the full house, I think. Um, Maybe 30. I know Yahtzee's 50, and a lot of the other ones, it's, like, some of the dice, um, and then you just add up your score at the end. So, I don't know. I've seen people roll full houses a lot. I've played enough Yahtzee. I kind of knew how to play the game, like, right? You know, like, I could have, you know figure this out or whatever. I, I, I let you go through the whole thing of explaining it. And I'm still not hearing the most important part. When do I get to yell Yahtzee at someone? When you successfully get a Yahtzee, five of a kind. Yeah, but I just want to yell it more often than that. Yeah, see, but then it becomes less special. Most games of Yahtzee end without anyone getting a Yahtzee. Well, see, it's special because I'm playing it. <laughs> like, I don't play this game ever. I, just want I, to I yell guess you it. could also yell it like... I, I think you're also supposed to yell it when you like release the dice if you're trying to have fun, but that seems like a faux pas in competitive Yahtzee. Agree. I, I'm going to say this. So whenever in 2021, when we could see people in public again, whatever, whenever it actually happens and you and Brennan finally visit or whatever, we're getting hammered one night and playing Yahtzee and I am going to yell it so many times. Can we stream this? Yes. Obviously we're talking about streaming great. this. Yeah. Yeah. The drunk Yahtzee stream. I, I'm telling you this right now. When it, whenever y'all visit, we're we're gonna do we're gonna set the camera up in the living room at some point and just, <laughs> and just do dumb shit. Like we'll we play we'll play magic on the on the TV. We'll have it streaming from the TV. Or oh, we'll yeah. figure it out. 
I'll just move the computer to the living room. We used to do this all the time when we did the Hearthstone stuff. We used to have a, a living room stream like once a week where it'd just be like all the Hearthstone people would come and hang out and we would just like do fun stuff. So we're definitely going to do something like that amongst other other fun stuff. Usually everything involving drinking in some way. <laughs> Getting back to, to rolling dice. Do you know what my dream is for rolling dice at a Magic tournament? Very if these, specific. If, if these are how you dream, I'm, I feel really bad for you. It's very specific. Sure, go ahead. Okay, so... I need uh, one person have four cards in their hand, okay. okay, and be the target of a Himdaturok. And so they're like, oh, I don't know how to do this. <laughs> so n- most of the time, people will, you'll just roll a d6 and like five and six are re-rolls. And then after that, you know, you've got three cards and six sides, so it divides evenly. But I wanted, I one, I don't want to roll twice. And sometimes you have to roll more than that if you have to re-roll in the first roll. And as it turns out, there are six pairs of cards within a four-card hand. Okay. Right. So you can just assign each pair to oh my a number God. one through six. Going. This this is this will take longer than just roll than just putting your hand down and taking two cards out of it. This takes no, too much time. It, it's really easy. There's a there's a natural uh there's a natural bijection. See, I hear you say that it's really easy, and then you follow it up with that sentence of saying it's a natural bijection, and I think that you don't understand what the phrase "it's really easy" actually means. All a bijection is is a one to one and onto mapping. Did you learn numbers from Ann Coltier? Like, can you just not read a graph? Is that what's going on? <laughs> like, I mean, this doesn't really involve a graph. I don't know where you're getting into, Tannen. I'm, I'm going to leave that one there. Just keep going. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know who you're talking about. So I'll, I'll explain it to you after the show. Go ahead. But so, like the you know, you, you lay the cards out, and normally you would assign them one, two, three, and four. So one and two is is the first pair. So that goes to number one. One and three is the second pair. One and four is the third pair. Two and three is the f- is the fourth pair. Two and four, and then three and four. Yeah, sure. Easy I mean, peasy. Yeah, it sounds super easy, Ross. You wouldn't have to explain this more to your opponent more than once, and the judge more than once. That's why all you have to do is ro- well. I mean, Collins Mullen wrote an entire article explaining my complicated way to have each person roll one d six and do odd or even on the sum, so no one can manipulate it and it's still fair, and you only have to ever have to roll once. So maybe I just need to write an article solely about this, and then Himdaturox will be resolved slightly faster from now on. The the two times that Legacy gets played a year. It's not even then, but I do think that like maybe that's something. Here's the thing: if you're ever going to make that article happen, it's now. There, there's like nothing <laughs> else to write about. You're like Cedric. I got an extra article this week. He starts. To, I can just see him. He starts to read it, and then you just text on your phone. What the fuck, Ross? <laughs> what the fuck does bijection mean? <laughs> I had to Google bijection. <laughs> I still don't understand. It's like I am a smart man. I should have a Google words. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a smart man. I Google words all the time. Yeah. That's, Why do you yeah. think I know words? Yeah. I know the best words, Ross. All yeah. the best words. Yeah, like bijection. Yeah. I, I I had to I'm gonna have to Google that one afterwards because I have no idea what that means. It I, and means I'm sure one to don't, one and I, and on to. Yeah, sure. Okay. Other, otherwise, on. hold on. Otherwise known as an injection and a surjection. If you're both an injection and a surjection, then you're a bijection. Ross, you're you're taking away the fun of it of going to Google and trying to figure it out. And you're just like <laughs> saying you're saying more words to me that I don't understand or not. I might be taking away fun for you, but I'm adding fun for me. So even if the net result is zero, basically I'm just stealing the fun. And I'm okay with that. Yeah, someone had fun. Yeah, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's the point, right? Speaking of that, it's been fun doing the cast this week. Um, You know, this is actually a pretty nice little, um, little, like, I don't want to say event, but it's a nice little, like, change and something to do when there's not a lot to do. Yeah, and we actually have events to talk about, so... 
Yeah, we have stuff. Like there's actually there is some magic still happening. Um <laughs> I will say it is it does make me sad every day when I like walk in my office and I see some of my paper magic cards sitting there and I'm just like when I have, I have no reason to build all these decks that I'll never actually play anymore. You know, like I don't have you know seven decks sleeved up that I'm never going to play in the event. In it, it makes me sad, Ross. I want to I want to play Paper Magic because I, I will say this is is as corny as it is. It really is about the gathering and getting to hang out with people and go to these events and play and test yourself against you know. Some That's going to get put to the test, right? Because we've got tournaments that people are playing, but there's not a lot of gathering going on. So we're going to have a couple months of just the magic. There's a lot of people sitting in front of a screen by themselves and probably not a lot of clothing, you know. Hey, I'm in a, a button-down shirt. I did go out in public today. I had to do some more grocery shopping. Yeah, we went out in public for like a second day. We went to the, you know, the hospital or whatever. But um, I'm planning on going grocery shopping again like one more time soon. I don't know. We'll see. But I wore a mask today. That was that was interesting and, you know, different. <laughs> I haven't really done that before. Where do I even get one? Um... My father-in-law is a doctor, so he had like you know four or five sitting around. Okay. So everyone in the family just has one. Thankfully, if we had a bunch, we would donate them. Yeah. Am I supposed to like order them online? I would. I would wear one. I just don't know where to get one. I need to find the link. I don't remember who on Twitter had it. Somebody on Twitter posted it. There's a there's a place where you could order one online, and I think they cost like fifteen bucks. But for every one they sell, they donate nineteen to charity or something like that. So they they're actually just like giving more money. Or this cost fifteen dollars. I, I thought they were dude, really I don't cheap. No, not a mask scientist. We just raised thirteen thousand dollars for direct relief. Can they send us some masks? No, send them where they need to go. <laughs> send them to the hospitals that don't have enough. Like sure, and uh, us. You're right. I'm just gonna stay inside. Yeah, that's, a, that's what I'm doing, man. Like we had a, a food truck come to our neighborhood yesterday and like set up in like the back, the back common area, and people went to get food. And I like, I walked over there and I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I literally asked myself that, like, five times. I'm like, is it really worth this crummy burger? And, it, you know, it is freshly made. It's nice not having a frozen meal or, you know, frozen vegetables or something. But, like, I was like, what am I doing? Like, you're just, you can tell some people, like, they just don't give a shit. You know, they're, they, like, don't listen to the, the six-foot rule of people they don't know. They haven't told their kids or their kids don't care. They're just running around like crazy people. And I'm over here, like... E- it looks funny. Like, I look like the weird guy, right? Yeah, I'm doing what you're doing. Ross is kind of, like, shooing people away. I, like, every time someone would take a step towards me, I would take a step, like, in the, the other direction. Yeah. And they kind of get it, right? And here's the thing. You, you might not care. Or you might not care, you know, as much as someone else does. But have some respect for that person. Leave them alone. Stay away from them. Because here's the big deal. If I get it, I'm probably going to be fine, right? Like, large number of time, even if I get, like, one of the harder strands or some of the more severe symptoms, I'm going to come out okay, you know, as long as it's not at, like, the very tip-top of the of the, the worst part of the country where, like, and it's, like, all the hospitals are so full, I, I just can't get a ventilator or whatever. But, but, like, you know, we're around our parents, and if I accidentally give it to them, that's a lot worse. And that's what I'm worried about. And so that's why I'm staying my ass inside. <laughs> and to everybody else, stay inside. <laughs> like, it's, look... It's one of those jokes, like people, I used to make this joke all the time when someone's like, hey, do you want to go outside? I'd be like, dude, mankind has been trying to perfect inside for thousands of years. Why the fuck would I want to go outside? You know? And now that we have to, it kind of sucks. Like, I agree. But like, do your part. <laughs> Aren't you the political one? Why am I going off here? Hey, I'm just going to let you go go on. I agree. I'm just so angry, No need Ross. for me to chime in. You got it covered. Ross, I'm just so angry. I started paying attention in the last year or two, and I'm just so angry all the time, and I hate it. Isn't it great? It, it, look, <laughs> parts, parts of it, yes. 
but like I'm losing my hair. It's going gray. Like my jaw hurts all the time. My back hurts. Like I'm stressed more than I used to be. I'm losing sleep, Ross. I don't like it. I don't, I don't look, you're making me have to be the voice of reason. And it's not a good look for me. Okay. <laughs> like this is not good for me. <laughs> I want to scream irrationally. Yeah, I don't even want to do that. I just want to go back to my bubble when I just, like, played poker for a living and then, like, did whatever the hell I wanted to do. If you were in a bubble, you could probably go outside. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, what was that movie? It's, like, The Kid in the Bubble or whatever. Uh, the Bubble Boy? Gyllenhaal's, like, first, one of his first movies when he was an Isn't adult. Is it just Bubble Boy? I guess that that's the episode of Seinfeld. They call him Bubble Boy. No, there's And they're, they're playing the bubble. against him, and he says it's the moops because the card's misprinted. Maybe it's just Boy in the Bubble or whatever, but there's, like, that comedy. It's It's, it's horrible. Like it's 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 one of those movies that like you need to be drunk to watch. Like you cannot be sober and, and watch this movie. It's kind of like what's that TV show everybody's talking about right now on Netflix? Something Tiger? Like have you heard about this? Everyone keeps talking about that this show is just hilarious and great, and it's like just a shit show, like in so many good ways or whatever. But there's some Netflix show. I mean, I'm probably end up watching it or whatever. But it's it's supposedly just like absurd, you know. And I don't know. It's probably good entertainment value. So. I'm also thinking about doing something fun on Twitter where, like, I might rewatch all of something, you know, like, all the MCU movies or, like, some, you know, very loved TV show or, like, my first watch through of, like, The Wire or The Sopranos and then just, like, post something, like, every every episode, like, start a thread. Like some... I did with, with Force Awakens? Yeah. When you live-streamed Force Awakens, it's... The Rise of Skywalker, that's The Rise of Skywalker. When you live-streamed it, it was probably... It might be my favorite Twitter thing this year. And because I knew exactly where you were in every part of the movie by your reaction. Cause you didn't, you didn't just like, Hey, this is where I am. You would just like react. And it was so funny. And God, that movie was so awful. And you, it's like, the, it's like literally my favorite memory of that movie. Like the only good part, like one of the only good things about the movie. You know what else is good about that? Now that I just thought about it, you know what everyone at home should do? You should aspire to be Kylo Ren. Be like Kylo Ren. Don't visit your parents. You know, only, only, uh, only talk to your crush through, you know, whatever Astral that was. projection. Yeah, you're not actually there. You're not actually, phys- and wear a mask. And don't touch anyone. Yeah, there you, you go. Just, you just force chokes them and like, there. you know. Look, I fixed it. That, that's how we do it, America. Be Kylo Ren. We did it. You're welcome, America. Thank, you're welcome. Figured it out. We got our ad campaign for all the PSAs uh, all set. Uh, by, and by that I mean don't kill the masses like a lot of other people are talking about today and yesterday. Don't don't do that. <laughs> My idea was going to be having us like watch a Star Wars or like Lord of the Rings movie, and maybe like you know the trilogy of them, and like Mystery Science Theater it. Dude, I sit there watch it and live stream it and just ham it up talking. You know. Okay, hundred percent in. I've actually really been wanting to rewatch uh, Lord of the Rings recently, and it's really annoying because I own them somewhere. They're in the house. I, I can find it, but. Uh, one of my streaming services has them, but only has Two Towers and Return of the King. They don't have Fellowship. And so I'm like, what is, how does that make sense? Like, how do you not have the first one? And and look, I'll, I'll argue this until the day I die. Fellowship is the best one of the three anyway, period. So it's like very annoying to me. And also, if we did this, the three hour or the four hour versions? Um, let's go with the theatrical versions. Yes, yeah, so extended. Because I'm assuming that we're going to be drinking during this if we do something like this. And do we have to could, stream we it? We could do the Lord of the Rings challenge. What's that? Just watch all nine of them? I mean, watch all nine hours? So you have to You have to watch all three of them, but every time they smoke on screen, you smoke off screen. Uh, I can't do that. <laughs> A, I've never partook. B, I don't have the, you know, the, the option. 
or whatever. So maybe we can make a drinking game out of it or whatever. But I am 100% down because we've been talking about um, some extra content that we're going to do and some extra fun that we're going to do. And I, I'm pretty sure you're like allowed to stream yourself watching movies and stuff on Twitch. And like, dude, I'll I'll freaking uh, call in. We can have some, like, you can even put our, you can put the two cameras and you can put them down where they're supposed to be, like at the bottom left of the, the bottom left of the screen and do like the Mystery Science Theater. I'm, I'm, I'm 100% down to do that. And then we should also probably like find a movie that we haven't seen in Ur. I don't know if that actually makes it more. There's fun. a lot of really good movies that I haven't seen, like uh, Pulp Fiction. I saw the that Godfather. as a dude. I saw that when it came out, and it was like I was like 12 or something. It scarred me for years, like literal years. I've actually never seen The Godfather or any of that that series. The, the Shawshank Redemption. Haven't seen that one. Okay, that movie's great. I have seen that one. I mean, we could watch a bunch of, like, Oscar winners from this year or whatever, like Parasite. I need to see Parasite. I really want to see Parasite pretty bad. I've heard a lot of good things. And you see that and, uh, what is it, Knives Out. I heard Knives Out was very, very good. So I want to watch that one as well. But uh, I was going to say, I, I need to, you know, you were talking earlier, you don't have a physical list, and I do. I need to add some stuff to it because I've been taking stuff off of it but not adding to it. Uh, stuff that I need to see. But I am down to do a Mystery Science Theater thing with you for some movie that we've seen and just yelling about like what the f- what what is Bilbo doing? Like, <laughs> like we should do it with some like stupid nineties com- comedy like uh, Beverly Hills Ninja. Uh, Beverly Hills Ninja is good. Um, like uh, something that's not too offensive because I was thinking like Boy or something. Yeah, Tommy Boy's a good one. I was like I was thinking of like you know what Jay and Silent Bob movie, but those are very offensive. Yeah, you know like those are very rated R. You know like. But something with Adam Sandler or yeah, Chris we could Farley. do it with Happy Gilmore. I've seen that movie like a hundred times. Yeah, I love me some Happy Gilmore. That's I, probably I, the movie I've seen the most of any movie ever. I'm also a golfer, so I can like have a, an opinion or two. Be like, his form is horrible here, or whatever. Or, <laughs> yeah. or every well, time he I've, runs up to the ball. So every time I've ever tried to do that, I have hurt myself, <laughs> like, <laughs> or I've ended up on the ground, and the ball never goes anywhere. Just so you know, every time I've ever tried to do it, I end up completely whiffing the ball. So <laughs> at least I hit I, I hit the ball most of the time, most of the time. But I am a golfer, so it, it makes it a little easier. Also, like I don't go full blast into it. You know, like I kind of like slow down at the last second because you're like trying to you know like get the hand eye coordination thing going or whatever. But anyway. So, Ross, if people wanted to hear more from you, read more of you, where would they go? Uh, best place is my Twitter, where I am at Ross Hunneds. It's R-O-S-S-H-U-N-N-E-D-S. I do try to respond to people there, so any questions you have, uh, feel free to drop them, and I appreciate a follow. Uh, my content, uh, my articles are still going up on Star City Games every Tuesday uh, at 11 a.m. Eastern. This week's article is about... Uh, Kind of little things that I notice, um, newer players, like little mistakes that I see in their game uh, that I don't see for more polished players. And um, so if you're really looking to level up, there's some definitely, uh, it's a lot of very concrete advice. Um, so that's this week's article. Versus Live is a little up in the air at this point. So, um, you know, if you follow me on Twitter, you'll definitely get updates about it, as we know. But right now, um, we just don't know about this week and it's just kind of day to day. So uh, we'll see how it goes. And then, um, oh, I'm streaming now. That's a thing. Yeah, my Twitch channel is just my name, Ross underscore Miriam. Uh, make sure you get the underscore in there. I didn't know uh, your middle name was underscore. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Gotta get my dad joke in. Sorry. Yeah. And then uh, I don't have a set schedule yet. So once again, follow me on Twitter is the best place to uh, figure out when I'll be streaming. I am planning on streaming both of the, well, hopefully only one of the Pioneer Super Qualifiers later this week, but potentially both. Um, so plan for that.
But outside of that, I don't have a set schedule yet. Once we figure out exactly what's going on with Versus is when I'm going to, you know, sit down and set a schedule and stick to it. So I'm just waiting for that kind of uh, uncertainty to clear up and and then I'll continue working on it. But I've had a great time streaming over the last week, took a couple days off, and I'm going to get back into it later this week and keep doing it. Hmm. I'm excited to watch you stream some more, by the way. I've been really, really enjoying it. And I love watching the the hands to the hair every time you're thinking really hard and then the emotes that follow it. I forgot the name of the emote, but whatever. Anyway, um, if you wanted to follow me, that's at the Tannen Grace on Twitter. I am very, very close to 4,000 followers on Twitter. So it's a nice little milestone to kind of, uh, to kind of go for. Um, that's cute. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I tweet a lot about magic, especially right now. I tweeted about my, my draft deck from earlier today. Uh, I had a really cool draft deck. That's why I tweeted it. Um, I tweet a lot about my dog. So if you like cute, Pictures of cute pictures of cute dogs. There you go. Uh, a lot of stuff with that. I usually tweet a lot about sports, but there's not any <laughs> right now, so I gotta have that that thing missing um, as well. But would appreciate a follow. You can find out a lot about what's going on at the Pioneer Cast. We're working on getting a lot of cool things going in the future for you guys and girls. So uh, some extra, just some extra content and stuff. We know that there's not a lot going on in the Magic world right now. We're trying to make sure that. The people that support us are getting their money's worth because we appreciate each and every one of you. We want you to be happy with what you're what you're supporting. We appreciate you staying with us with what's going on. <clears throat> Anyone who's had to pull their support of their show, we completely understand. By the way, we know what's going on in the world right now. So uh, we really appreciate the ones that stayed. We really appreciate the ones that were there before and really appreciate even the ones who just listen. Any support is, is good support in our book. We really appreciate every one of you. If you wanted to hear and find out more about that, you could go to our cast Twitter. That's at cast pioneer and give us a follow there. Uh, it announces every time an episode's live. We do a lot of retweeting of really cool pioneer deck lists and stuff like that. Really cool discussions go on in there too about the decks. You can get a lot of sideboard guides or ask about uh, specific stuff and stuff in there. So a lot of cool things there. When you visit that Twitter, you can look in the uh, Twitter bio. It's got a link to our Discord. You may have heard us mention our Discord. Lots of cool stuff going on in there. Um, just tons and tons of cool channels. The one that's giving me the most love and hate right now is the food section because people keep posting like really good pictures of their food and like I don't have the option to have some of that anymore. And it really pisses me off because I'm like, oh, I can go to the grocery store, pick up. Oh wait can't get any of this you know kind of stuff so uh we got a pet section in there new music section uh every format magic if you want to talk about magic because we do that sometimes so lots of cool stuff going on there ross and i are pretty active in there especially right now <clears throat> so you can get a lot more stuff from us in there and then you heard us mention that um we do every now and then answer questions on the show live that's one of the perks of being a patreon of the show or i'm sorry a patron of the show, but we have a Patreon at patreon.com slash pioneercast. We have a $2, $5, and $10 tier. Um, there's cool things for every single tier. Um, any tier gets uh, access to the Patreon-specific channel within our Discord, and there's a lot of other stuff going on. We're going to be a little slow on getting out the tokens that we have for people, so be patient with us. Um, we can't really ship them out right now. <laughs> it's, it's a little hard to do a bunch of shipping and difficult and we hope that you're patient with us when it comes to that. And we got some other cool stuff in the works in the future for all the different tiers. So lots of lots of sweet stuff going on. And uh, be on the lookout either this week or next. I got one of I got a I got a little thing in my pocket that I got coming up that hopefully I can make happen real real soon. So make sure you keep your eye on that. Other than that, I think that's about it for us this week. Ross, uh, stay safe, stay inside. Same goes for all y'all listening. You know, don't go do anything that's not super important or essential. Uh, be careful out there. Let's let's all work together to try to get through this as easily as possible and hopefully 
We did a little bit of help for you this week, and we'll see you next week.